Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. In the schools because that's done by elected officials. My question is, where do any of you think, where do we need to jam the monkey wrench in? I mean, where do we, where, where do we just stick the screwdriver in the gears and say, boink, that's it. This is where we start. Vote, ver- vote every incumbent out of office. Number one. But my point is, if the elections are not verifiable as, you know, for real, like, look at, look at McCain. That guy didn't win that election in Arizona. Well, not, not only McCain, but I've, I've said it before on the show about uh, uh, the ex-senator from sure, uh, Nebraska. Nebraska. Uh, yeah, he's part, part owner of Diebolt, and that's why he's the Secretary of Defense, because it was Diebolt that uh, registered uh, the voting for Obama. Now, why would Obama appoint an ex-Republican senator mm-hmm. as Secretary of Defense? And that's because uh, it's all rigged. See, that's the question, is it's like a catch-22. Well, yeah, we should vote all of them out, and that'd be a great place to start. But how do we do that if we can't depend on the elections being fair? Well, Frank, yeah, we're going we're gonna to have to carry this over to the second hour. We're coming up on uh, the end of this hour. Uh, Lupe, Isola, if you'd like to join us, you're more than welcome. Frank will set you up on that. And uh, we're going to be joined with uh, Rattlesnake Ray and uh, Reverend Jesse Peterson. We're going to be talking about the dirty little secret about the N-word, a new book that uh, Jesse has out. Find out, uh, you know, what, what's going on here. Uh, you know, they're, they're trying to create this rift with uh, the races and how the race blacks were destroyed by giving them welfare. Uh, thanks to LBJ, the Democrats enslaved them. I mean, I, I've said it over and over. I've watched movies of Harlem back in the 30s and 40s. Everybody was dressed nice. They were coming up. And then uh, the Democrats enslaved them, given welfare. There was one stipulation. You can't have a man in the house. I broke down the black family. That was the end. And they still think the Democrats are <laughs> for them. Baloney. But we're going to be joining uh, uh, Jesse Peterson, uh, also uh, Rattlesnake Ray, and uh, Luffy and Isola want to come on over. Uh, come on over, and if you want to call in, 800-596-8191. Hope you uh, uh, come on over with us, and uh, here's my favorite song to end uh, this hour. Hello.
prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. is afraid of pain. No one wants pain to rule over their life, and you don't want the negative side effects of aspirin, ibuprofen, or prescription drugs. They can lower immunity and cause dependency. Is there a safe alternative? I'm herbalist Wendy Wilson, and I prefer willow bark and meadowsweet herbs to control pain, fever, aches, and inflammation. God's herbs are good, and you won't be disappointed. Call Apothecary Herbs for pain or extra strength pain relief formula, toll free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International, 704-875-8010 or online, thepowerherbs.com. Financial obligations or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll free 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3w.thepowerherbs.com. get older, they are subject to hormone imbalance. And when this happens, men can experience osteoporosis, memory loss, irritability, blood sugar imbalance, weight gain, enlarged prostate, erectile dysfunction, and risk of stroke. The human endocrine system manufactures hormones. Why not feed your system plant nutrition to make the hormones that are right for you? For centuries, these herbs have been used to balance the male hormone system. Men, you've waited long enough for the male hormone formula. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663 for the male hormone formula. 866-229-3663 or online at thepowerherbs.com. 866-229-3663 where your healthcare options just became endless. One, two, three, three. 
Herb Talk Live. I'm your resident herbalist, Wendy Wilson. Hope you had a great day. We're here to empower you. That's what we like to do here on Herb Talk. Thanks for joining us on the American Voice Radio Network. Magical engineer Frank and I have a great show. Uh, we're going to be talking about the world population here tonight. And I know you're probably saying, well, so what? Well, just wait. There's some interesting twists. <laughs> uh, also, we're going to be talking about uh, what doctors don't tell you about blood pressure and diabetes. And if we get time for other things, we'll, we'll, we'll get to those as well. We'll just see how the hour goes. And we do. We do have a quack report. And, uh, and I did bring my devotional. I've been hearing more and more from you people out there that you really like the devotional. So I'm so glad. So... Um, Big salute and semper fi to our righteous men and women in uniform, lifting them up in prayer. As always, I'm lifting this nation up in prayer, and I'm hoping for righteous leadership, you know, God's hand beyond that. And uh, so the devotional today is uh, from Ephesians 5 and Psalms 119. And it goes like this, relax in my healing, my holy presence. Allow me to transform you through this time alone with me. As your thoughts center more and more on me, trust displaces fear and worry. Your mind is somewhat like a seesaw. As your trust in me goes up, fear and worry automatically go down. Time spent with me not only increases your trust, it also helps you discern what is important and what is not. Energy and time are precious limited entities. Therefore, you need to use them wisely focusing on what is truly important. As you walk close with me, saturating your mind with scripture, you will sh- I will show you how to spend your time and energy. My word is a lamp to your feet. My presence is a light for your path. Amen. And without further ado, let's do the quack report. Alrighty, uh, scientists, let's see, admit the polio vaccine is causing polio. <gasps> Do tell. Oh, yeah, they're trying to destroy the <laughs> polio vaccine before it causes any more of a polio outbreak. So clinics around the world are destroying the old, they say, problematic problem polio vaccine uh, in favor for a new oral one. Do we trust them? Mm? Uh, they said... Um, it's an unprecedented effort that they're attempting. Um, a massive global eradication effort is going to take place in just a few weeks uh, at thousands of sites in 115 different countries to destroy um, the old vaccine. It's a worldwide plan. So health workers um, have been taught to destroy the old vaccine either by boiling it, incinerating it, or burying it in the ground. Um, Now, according to NPR last year, the world recorded 100 cases of polio. 30 of them were reported to have been mutant strains caused by the vaccine. Uh, So, hey, this is a perfect example. Uh, Scientific medicine doesn't know what it's doing with regard to infectious disease. I'm sorry. All right, moving along the quack report. Um, fertility rates dropped to lowest level, according to the U.S. and the CDC. They say fertility rates in America, the number of babies born per 1,000 women that are in childbearing age, lowest record 
ever, according to a new report from the CDC. The findings, they say, were based on population data from the CDC that track birth and fertility statistics going back to 1909. And interestingly, we're going to get into this tonight a little bit for the first part of the show. Uh, moving along in the quacker, um, lice is a problem now. It's treatment resistant. Uh, the vast majority of the head lice in the U.S. is resistant to the over-the-counter treatments, meaning that it's now very difficult to vanquish. Uh, researchers found that head lice, in 42 out of the 48 states that they studied carried an average of three genetic mutations that make them impervious or impossible to get rid of using the over-the-counter anti-lice remedies. And their research was published in the Journal of Medical Entomology. Uh, so um, let's see, Lice Be Gone is a product that's made by a company out west. I'm trying to think, um, Effective... Uh, Natural Effective something is the name of the company, but you can Google it. And <clears throat> very effective. It's a natural thing. They use the yucca plant, I believe. Um, and apparently the lice aren't resistant to that. All right. Uh, moving along in the quack report. Last but not least, um, America's got another drug problem, apparently. Um, we're giving the elderly too many drugs. Well, yeah. Uh, pharmacist Dominic Bailey um, on his computer, he scrutinizes the medication list of medications patients are taking at the geriatric unit at the hospital he works at. Um, a doctor had prescribed blood pressure, he said, for a 99-year-old woman, and the dose, he said, could cause her to faint and fall over. Uh, an 84-year-old woman was hospitalized for knee surgery, knee, knee surgery, and she was on several drug medications, uh, but he says those drugs were meant for for older patients because of the severe potential, weren't meant for older patients, I should say, because they had severe potential side effects. He goes on to say that a 74-year-old uh, had a long history of health problems, including high blood pressure and respiratory issues, had difficulty breathing, pneumonia, and her medical records showed that upon admission she was on 36 medicines. Um, he says this is a bit alarming, uh, I would say, uh, he says some drugs can cause confusion, falling down, excessive bleeding, low blood pressure, respiratory complications for older patients. So he's really concerned that the sheer number of drugs uh, were such a worry on several of the patients, um, including the drugs that treat insomnia and pain. He says all that could suppress breathing. So uh, he says the increased number of elderly patients nationwide on multiple meds to treat chronic disease is rising and the chances of a dangerous drug interaction and serious side effects are increasing as well. Uh, so, you know, he says all these patients go to different specialists. They all put them on drugs. They don't check with one another what the patient is taking. Uh, and then when the patient arrives at the hospital, then the doctors put them on a different round of stuff. So he said this is America's drug problem. It's called polypharmacy. Oh, yeah. It is a huge problem. Uh, according to the Department of Health and Human Services, any drug-related complications add about three extra days to your average hospital stay. Mm. Mm -mm. And that wraps the quack report. Okay. <laughs> 
Frank. Frank is uh, chiding in here on the uh, email here, the instant messenger. <laughs> yeah, he says, can we get some of those quit breathing drugs for Hillary? Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It's in God's hands, but we got to pray it up. We do. We have to ask God to help America. we got to pull together as uh, Christian-loving people and just say no to all this evil that's out there. All right, we're going we're gonna to talk about the world population, which, believe it or not, is in decline. Oh, yeah, because we are really at a time where the population is the population of the U.S. and the global population is it really on a downward slope? You know, for the last five, ten years, all we've been we've been hammered with the media reports that the world population is so out of control that the earth is bulging with too many people. Not sustainable. So in fact, for the last fifty years, guess what? The population has been on a steady decline. And that revelation is astonishing. So we're going to check this out and cover what's going on. Yep. You know, some things aren't what they seem, right? So who knew? Statistics that are coming from organizations other than health authorities are reporting on population decline. Oddly enough, it's the bankers that have noticed there are fewer people on the planet. So the World Bank Group, now this is an international organization that makes loans to countries. And they're stating we don't have 7 billion people. So if the World Bank Group is telling the truth, then we are not seeing the big picture. So reports from worldmeter.com, if you go there, they say currently we have 7.4 billion people on the earth and the numbers are climbing by the second. And World Bank Group, what they do is they use statistics and demographics on populations. They use vital statistical data census reports, and that helps them operate their business globally. So they state that the census reports from the national offices all over the globe are reporting a downward trend in the population count. So if we had 4.5 billion in 1960, and that we have actually suffered a drop of 2.5 billion in 2013, then we don't have 7 billion people. So who is correct here. Were the higher figures merely projections, not really actual numbers? And one may start to wonder about the population numbers because no one can afford to have large families anymore. American couples who can conceive are not having big families. They may have at most one or two children. All right, let's look at the contraceptive age. Because we may be asking this question, has the contraceptives had an impact on population decline? Well, according to World Bank Group and the data that they secured from World's Children, Child Info, and the United Nations Population Division of World's Contraceptive Use, as well as household surveys and cluster surveys, they're stating the creation of contraceptives has impacted the Earth's population. They report there was a 10% increase in contraceptive use worldwide from 1990 to 2000. So the bankers are also reporting a 30% decline in fertility from 1990 to 2012. And the CDC also is reporting that since 1909, 
female fertility has declined along with birth rates. So the CDC is stating there's a a greater than 10% decline since 2007. So if this is the case, how can we have a population explosion that the media has been reporting? Well, we've been subjected to the reports that the food supply is at risk because there's too many hungry people. Well, apparently the population decline rate is of such a concern that instead of tracking it annually, now it's being tracked quarterly. So according to the National Center for Health Statistics, they reported in 2003, the U.S. birth rate had hit a record low. The report stated one reason was the infant mortality rate had risen. Say what? <laughs> Did we hear this in the news anytime? I don't recall hearing that. So the infant mortality rate has risen. The report also showed that between 1970 and 1980, women having two children, it was not a sufficient rate to replace the population. So it was documented in 2002 that the birth rate was not a, quote, replacement rate compared to the death rate. So with conflicting reports on the population of the U.S. and the world, it's a challenge for people to know what is the truth. Let me read you this quote from um, Donna Strobino, professor of population, family, and reproductive health at John Hopkins University. She says, Uh, The population reports, uh, they're trying to give us a picture of what is happening to fertility among U.S. women by specific characteristics, in particular by age. So they're trying to figure out what is going on here. Well, let's look at the vaccine factor. So we can't ignore the reports of young girls and women who've been chemically forced into menopause or worse because they believed the papilloma vaccine would protect them from sexually transmitted viruses, which can cause cervical cancer. So according to a report by VacTruth.com, their researchers found 56 medical papers dating back to 1977 that listed on PubMed, they were discussing contraceptive vaccines. So when you're reading these reports, you may be, you know, you may determine that, you know, vaccines are being manufactured to create an infertility problem in the U.S. So in 1989, a published paper by G.P. Talware and R. Regopathy that was titled Anti-Fertility Vaccines, this paper stated that such vaccines were in development for both men and women. They described that with one jab of a vaccine, it would be possible to cause a sterilization for a woman and a castration effect for a male. So they reported that vaccines had already passed field testing and would proceed to market. This is 89. So how do these vaccines create infertility? Well, apparently, according to the papers, they create an allergic reaction in women where if they uh, were to have an egg fertilized, the body releases proteins making her body allergic to pregnancy and it causes an abortion. And in men, the vaccine attacks sperm antigens. 
So these vaccines were tested in New Delhi on humans, and they were found to break down the blood testes barrier in men. And you'd think, you know, that patients would be fully informed about these vaccines, and they would be deciding if they wanted to volunteer to destroy their fertility. Yeah, right. So, however, according to biochemist, biochemist G.P. Tower of the Immunology Foundation and bioengineer R. Ragopathy of the University of Minnesota, the tetanus uh, toxoid vaccine, the cholera toxoid vaccine, the diphtheria toxoid vaccine have all been tested to decrease the, the testy size in men. It also drops the testosterone levels in men, and it also can cause atrophy of the prostate gland. So these 27-year-old papers also mentioned the next generation of DNA vaccines. You know, the DNA vaccines contain the aborted fetus protein, the MRC5. So this could explain why there's been this epidemic of prostate disease and low testosterone in men. So it is speculated that many of these vaccines are tested on, that were, they were tested on humans in Nicaragua, Mexico, and the Philippines. And there was this surge of infertility that hit those regions in 1990. All right, let me read you this quote from Biochemist Tower and Biochemist Rogopathy, um, National Institute for Immunology in New Delhi, 1989. This is what they said. Vaccines are under development for the control of fertility in males and females. A single injection procedure for the sterilization of females or castration for males has passed through field testing and expected to be on the market in the near future. These are the brainiacs behind this, apparently. Well, let's look at the tetanus vaccine. How many people get a tetanus shot? Lots of people do. So according to VacTruth.com, in 1994, the WHO, the World Health Organization, gave women in developing countries between the ages of 15 and 45 the tetanus vaccine. However, it was a birth control vaccine because, you know, we just heard it was in the tetanus vaccine. The sterilization is in there. So an organization called the Comite took vials of this tetanus vaccine and had it tested because they thought it was very strange that only childbearing age females were given the tetanus vaccine. So the lab results stated the vaccine contained human chorionic uh, gonatropin, which is HCT, uh, HCG, and it's a hormone that helps maintain pregnancy, but when you combine it with the tetanus toxin, the female experiences an abortion instead. So what this causes is an immune system confusion, and the body attacks the, uterine, attacks the uterine lining so the fertilized egg cannot attach. And it was concluded that the tetanus vaccine is a global population control vaccine used by the WHO. And this could explain the decline in fertility and the drop in the, quote, replacement rate. And be aware the U.S. public schools, colleges, universities, guess what they require before you start class? A booster of the tetanus vaccine. Isn't that interesting? Mostly the females are getting it. Well, let me read you this quote by uh, Talware, the biochemist and um, 
Uh, he had an article in the journal Immunology and Cell Biology called Vaccines for Control of Fertility and Hormone-Dependent Cancers of 1997. He said this, although a number of methods are available for contraception, they are not suited to many people in economically developed countries. And according to the WHO, the contraceptive needs of 300 million are unmet. So they're just going to help them out with a little vaccine here. Yeah, nobody's told. I've never, I've never been, I've never seen an information on a tetanus vaccine that says, oh, by the way, we're sterilizing you. Nobody's going to volunteer for that. All right, let's look about, let's look at the vaccine for pregnancy. Okay, the folks at Backtruth also mention this sudden controversial decision within medicine to vaccinate pregnant women with flu vaccines. So they point out that the National Coalition for Organized Women reported on the increased incidence of neurological damage and fetal deaths after medicine started vaccinating pregnant women with influenza. And while this was happening in 2009 and 2010, the CDC was advising the American obstetrics and gynecological organizations that the vaccines were safe for pregnant women and that the huge spike in adverse events and fetal death were blamed on other reasons. So here we may have another smoking gun into the problem of the replacement rate and add to the fact that the number of vaccines for children have increased at, for infants, toddlers, school-age children, and that could be creating another layer of mortality and infertility right there. We'll have to see as those kids grow up. Do they have families or not? Well, and then here's an interesting thing with the Zika. Um, it would appear that um, uh, the bankers might be accurate about the world numbers due to the fact that creation, I think, is under attack. The government of Brazil has reevaluated the Zika threat and thinks the mosquitoes have nothing to do with the birth deformities. Epidemiologists and vector specialists in Brazil think the problem is the mass application of environmental pollutants around certain areas of Brazil, as other areas have mosquitoes, but there's no birth defects there. So keep in mind that this is a country that prohibits abortion. However, it is possible that the Zika issue is going to be used as an opportunity to change the abortion laws. Now, what is now happening in South Florida? All that mass spraying with environmental pollutants? This could spike various health problems there. And it's also kind of astonishing how quickly a Zika vaccine was just poof, produced out of Canada. Oh, I tell you. Let me read you um, the quote from Bill Gates. He, he made it a carbon reduction global warming speech. You're probably familiar with it. But he said, first, we got population. The world today has 6.8 billion people. That's headed up to 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, health care, and reproductive health services, we can lower that by about 10 to 15 percent. Well, if he's talking about population, he's talking about lowering the population numbers. Uh-huh. People say, oh, that's not what it means. Well, then why did he use population with vaccines in his speech? All right, 
Um, well, what we have here is some multiple threats. It appears that the bankers could be correct with regard to what's happening to the population of Earth. If we analyze the multiple threats that are in place, we can see the population will continue to decline unless we make some changes. So here they are. Go line them up. There's abortion. There's the new Zika vaccine that's untested, no long-term study. Ingredients are unknown. Influenza vaccines for pregnancy contain oxynol-9, which is a spermicide. And then we have infertility by, infertility by vaccines of tetanus, cholera, diphtheria, HPV, and now influenza. We have infant mortality through vaccines. We have contraceptives. We have other medical procedures like hormone treatment, surgery, and menstruation elimination procedures. We have environmental poisons and, of course, global warming agenda, which reduces the CO2 producers, which would be mankind. There you go. A lot of strategic moves going on right there. Well, I think it is. I do. I know i got to take a break. I do. I'm not done. I'm almost done. But we'll be right back. into the original medicine. Herbalist Wendy Wilson will be right back. The ancient Greeks thought thyme herb provided strength. Indeed, the chemical compounds of thyme contain antioxidants, an effective germicide that kills whooping cough bacteria and makes breathing easier. Just imagine what you can do with thyme herb when it comes to respiratory ailments like croup, pneumonia, asthma, and sinusitis. The extra benefit of thyme herb is that it soothes the nerves and stops spasmodic coughing, so you can get some rest. Who says you don't have time to take care of yourself? Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free for thyme tincture and tea to soothe your cough and get some rest. 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International 704-875-8010 or online at thepowerherbs.com. 007, your assignment is to find out what herb secrets herbalist Wendy Wilson has on Herb Talk Live. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in an untested vaccine hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu 
and there was a 300% death rate in those inoculated and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system and in times of need you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic, just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand, have a plan, have peace, and request your pandemic kit today. Or take your chances with the bad boys. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Financial obligations or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll free 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom As a nation, we are going to be praying it up here. All right, so we're going to wrap this up about the population being in, numbers being in question. And, you know, when you line up all the population threats here that are implemented today, you can actually see this could be a well-organized strategic plan and not a conspiracy theory. These things didn't happen by accident. And these are threats 
to God's creation and God's inheritance because man is God's inheritance. So threats presented as benefits but deliver destruction, well, they're going to prevail if people prefer to believe a lie. So the Bible states that in the latter days, people would not be lovers of truth. So let's look at it. Abortion is presented as a choice, but it's really about death because there's only two things, life and death. That's it. There's nothing else. And also vaccines are presented as protection but destroy immune system, fertility, health, and life, apparently. Environmental poisons are presented to protect crops but destroy nutrition, health, and vitality. And global warming, presented to protect the planet while removing man. Okay, let's get the big picture here. Because the first step to resolving a problem is recognizing there is a problem. So it is in our best interest to decide, you know, devise a plan, diffuse this threat, if not globally, then individually. So like it or not, we're in a defense mode here with protecting our health. Now, I often get calls from folks that are saying, are they trying to kill us? Well, after seeing the reports on population decline and others, I would say so. So how do we protect ourselves from the evil seeking to destroy our health? Well, you'll utilize the weapons of defense designed by God because medicinal herbs are practical. They're inexpensive. And best of all, there's no mutagens that have a defense to them. So, you know, they provide all these, uh, they're packed full of super nutrition, the herbs are. They strengthen the body. They restore balance. They provide stamina and regeneration. So God has instructed us to use herbs for energy, healing, restoration of the body, And herbs protect our health because God can't lie. Yep. So if you would like more information on how powerful you can be boosting your immune system, cleansing away the pharmaceutical residues, the heavy metals, radioactive particles, and a wide range of toxins, well, then call Apothecary Herbs. You can call to order or ask for a free catalog. They have lots of herbal cleansing kits, immune boosting uh, uh, formulas, all organic, whole food. And you can empower yourself. It's a game changer uh, when you get an organic, naturally aged, whole food herbal formula. Give them a call, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. Now, if you're outside the U.S., dial 704-885-0277. Of course, you can visit them on the website at thepowerherbs.com. Yep, that's where your healthcare options just became endless. Empower yourself over there. Hey, if you're on the website, don't forget, sign up for the free online newsletters. You just go to the Books and Newsletters tab, and you can sign up for the newsletters there. The American Survival goes out on Tuesday, and the Health Quest goes out on Friday, and they're packed full of informative information that you can share with family and friends and empower yourself. That's what it's about. All right, so we're going to shift gears here, and we're going to talk about what doctors aren't telling us about diabetes and high blood pressure. Um, So there's a natural food that you could use um, to help yourself with diabetes and heart disease. Um, Wouldn't you use it? And if you would use it, would you tell your doctor you're using it? Probably not telling him. You're not going to tell him. And the reason is obvious, uh, because... Doctors aren't going to tell you about it because there's no money in selling you healthy foods and herbs. And medical science knows that when you consume healthy foods and herbs, you get healthy. 
Therefore, the masses, they have to assess the foods that encourage um, uh, health and well-being, and you should be discerning about that. And you also should be discerning about any foods and products that would create disease, create diabetes, and other illnesses, um, because um, basically the, the, the business design model for the healthcare industry is to give you the illusion of health, to manage your symptoms and not cure your symptoms, because they want you to keep coming back. So... Now, some states are taxing people if they consume foods that are medically determined to make them overweight, diabetic, or sick um, because the medical care costs have gone up. So um, anywhere you slice your dices, it seems to be a catch-22 for us here. All right, so a whopping 44% of the heart attacks are caused by poor blood pressure, which is responsible for about 3,000 heart attacks per day. About 4% of the cases have diabetic complications. And the number one cause why we have chronic heart disease is a lack of good nutrition. And if you missed the show on how depleted our foods are because of the soil, go back to the archives and listen to that. You will just be amazed. So we have, more than ever, we have to make up for the glut that's there in nutrition so our body does not fall apart and get sick. Now, the number one cause for the chronic heart disease is lack of good nutrition. More than 5 million Americans aren't getting enough nutrition, even though they may be eating well. And they invest in the heart drugs to control their blood pressure problems, their cholesterol, their congestive heart failure, their arrhythmias, their AFibs. So drug companies sell more heart drugs than any other medication in any other category. So ask if, you know, we as a nation are going to tolerate a plan uh, of, you know, a healthcare system that we have now or worse. And drug therapy after drug therapy, where we just heard in the quack report, uh, the elderly are over-medicated. It's a drug problem and a big one. So are we going to tolerate that? Let's ask ourselves, are we going to tolerate that? I think right now this nation tolerates way too much already. But, uh, you know, why do we want to turn the kind of control over uh, uh, over our health to people that, you know, don't really have our best health interests in mind? It's their bank account that's in their, in their best interest. So we have to be discerning about this. Um, and, of course, we just heard recently insurance companies are going broke with the Affordable Care Act, but that, we already know that was on purpose. You know, it was designed to do that to them. Well, it serves them right, I say, because, you know, they thought that they could just use government to uh, hammer us into making us buy their product. Now they're going out of business. All right, let's look look at the diabetes. In 2006, um, I was mentioning 4 million Americans have diabetes, and the numbers are going up daily. 200,000 heart patients have diabetic complications. The medical gurus have announced There's a new diabetes on the block, as you know, diabetes 3. We have diabetes, diabetes 2 and 3 now. And uh, just when, you know, we thought, you know, two types of diabetes were enough, we get a third one. So according to a new study, tens of thousands of Canadians suffering from diabetes 3. Medical science says it's linked to Alzheimer's disease. Who knows? The study appeared in the November issue of the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease, reporting the levels of insulin receptors significantly diminish in the brains of early Alzheimer's patients and continued 
in a free fall, basically, as the disease progressed. So the study claims the insulin disappears suddenly with the onset of Alzheimer's, and they think now Alzheimer's is really a type of diabetes. I bet you they'll change their mind down the road on that. But in that study, they autopsied 45 brains. Some were normal, some had advanced stage Alzheimer's, and they found that the brains in the Alzheimer's patients were 80%. They had 80% loss of insulin receptors, so that's why they're thinking that. So, you know, heart disease and diabetes, they're kind of running amok in the medical community. There's not going to be any resolution. There's not going to be really any true curing uh, of those diseases because they make too much money for the industry. So it's up to you to do something about it. And uh, despite the research studies, the fundraisers, the drugs and the surgery, um, there's not going to be a cure for this. Uh, And uh, all the studies, there's like 60 studies. Speaking of studies, there's like over 60 um, reports that were done by U.S. medical universities and drug companies and foreign countries that um, have reported on natural foods that reduce diabetes and hypertension. Mm-hmm. The mystery food is garlic. So you have access to that right now. And you don't need a prescription. You don't need a copay. You don't need anybody's permission. It's a God-given medicine for you. Everybody uses it in, you know, your spaghetti sauce, garlic bread, and it's great. But it also has medicinal properties. Let's look at the garlic studies then. Uh, A study published in the Evident-Based Complementary and Alternative Medicine Journal showed that garlic restores antioxidants, reduces free radical damage, that's involved in vascular disease and diabetes and high blood pressure, basically. So in the study, they took uh, animals, they took lab rats, fed them diets that induced the diabetes and the hypertension, and then they fed them garlic extract, um, you know, a couple times a day for three weeks. The results show that the blood antioxidant levels um, significantly rose in both the rats with diabetes and those with hypertension, but the rats that had the garlic the with the antioxidants, the serum levels uh, decreased and the glucose serum levels decreased. So the rats with hypertension and systolic blood pressure, that lowered, that went down. And the Department of Biological Science of Ku- Kuwait University also did a study with garlic, and they also determined that the garlic had a definite power over serum lipids, lowered blood pressure, and uh, cholesterol. Their study also reported that garlic had a direct impact on serum cholesterol, triglycerides, glucose, protein, and systolic blood pressure. Researchers then concluded garlic may have a benefit effect on the risk factors of arterial sclerosis. So the study also noted that when you use your fresh garlic, it has an effect at reducing the formation of platelets so you don't have the clotting as well. It's a natural blood thinner, so you don't have to take the cumin and the werefin, the rat poison. And by the way, the new generation of blood thinners, do your homework. There's no antidote if you start to bleed. You will bleed out. Uh, They also concluded that garlic may be beneficial with regards to aging and cancer because garlic has a lot of uh, other antioxidant abilities, medicinal powers that um, they still need to test and study. Um, So it does lower blood pressure. It does lower blood sugar. 
So, um, and I know a couple of herbs that I like to use, very effective, uh, have for the cardiovascular and diabetic area. Use the garlic, absolutely. And then I also like to use white cedar berries, uh, which is called juniper monosperma. And um, those two together do a very nice job um, with the diabetes issue. Um, there's also medical studies uh, that show significant amounts of these herbs are excellent at uh, rectifying that imbalance there, strengthening the body. Uh, so uh, to give you an idea of the amount of garlic you may need, um, maybe three or four large garlic cloves per day would be what you need. If you have persistent diabetes, you may have to double that to six to eight cloves and maybe for a little while, and then peel back when your body gets stronger there. Um, so you can use the garlic juice if you don't want to eat raw cloves of garlic. Um, works well. doesn't need to be digested. The juice is uh, interactive in the system. It's, it's water-soluble and no digestion required. So within 60 seconds, it's working. So garlic juice, rather than capsules or tablets, may be the way you want to go. Uh, also, I would use the juniper in a liquid form as well. And um, also, if you really are worried about clotting, um, they've done studies on hawthorn berries, and it works as well or even better than the anti-clotting medications that are prescribed. So what it does is the hawthorn does a lovely job of balancing the fibrinogen protein in the blood, which is, has a lot to do with clots. So you don't want to get it off where you don't have clot, clotting mechanism removed and you bleed to death if you cut yourself which is usually what happens with the meds, the new meds now. So the, the hawthorn berries doesn't do that. It just balances that protein so that your fibrinogen remains fibrinogen. It doesn't turn to fibrin and cause unnatural clotting. So there you go. Um, if you're looking for liquid garlic or the juniper monosperna diabetic uh, liquids, they're on the powerofs.com website. You can just look under the heart and cardio and you can look under the diabetic tabs and, and find what you need there. Or if you're not sure, if you don't do the Internet, just call them. And uh, you can just flip to the sections in the catalog and read all about the products there. And what I like about the catalog is you get a listing of uh, not only the product name and its function, uh, but you get a listing of ingredients as well. All right. Now, so you can improve your circulation also, if you have to improve on that, let's say you don't have good pulses in your extremities because a lot of diabetics don't, uh, you might want to incorporate some cayenne and ginger. Uh, cayenne is very good at moving fluids in the body. It moves blood, it moves mucus, it moves lymph system fluids, white blood cells. Um, so it's very good as a stimulating agent to move, improve circulation from head to foot. So what I like about that is it'll push the circulation from the core to the extremities, but then the ginger will help circulation get to the small capillaries and then bring it back to the body core. And that's real important if you've got peripheral neuropathy. Um, if you're not a diabetic, you may not know what that is. What that is is the nerve endings are complaining in the feet and maybe the tips of your fingers because they're not getting adequate blood flow. And you get some numbness and tingling and maybe some hot sensations, some tenderness, and uh, it's very uncomfortable. So, um, and I know people are taking all kinds of drugs for that with all kinds of side effect risk. So uh, you may want to just uh, try the herbs and see if that helps you because most likely it's going to. Uh, so you want to improve blood flow, and that's how you can do it. 
Um, also, uh, females who depend on their endocrine system to produce the right amount of hormones for balancing, um, sometimes, you know, hormones are involved in the diabetic issue and the hypertension issue. So um, there are some great herbs that you can use to feed the endocrine system, um, and the endocrine system manufactures the hormones that are right for you at your particular time of life. So um, whether you're pre- or postmenopausal, there's herbs that can help your system balance and, uh, and, and do what it's supposed to be doing. Uh, men, there's also a male hormone formula full of herbs to help you out as well. Uh, so you can check that out under Just for Men and uh, Just for Women at thepowerherbs.com or uh, just call and get a free catalog and you'll see what we're talking about there. So you're able to stabilize with herbs. You're able to not just manage symptoms, you're strengthening a system to do what it's supposed to do normally, okay? Let me ask, let me just say, what are your expectations if you have diabetes down the road? People tend not to think about it. Oh, that's going to be a while yet. You'll hear from your medical professionals. Don't worry now. We're going to manage this blood sugar right now. Don't you worry. But after a while, when the kidneys start to fail and they're dropping below 10%, they want to put you on dialysis. Okay, so dialysis, you may, you may get there in 20, 15, 20 years, but you're going to get there if you're taking insulin because the body is propped up with a crutch, a drug, and it's not functioning like it should. So it slowly, 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 slowly is decreasing in its functionability and then you're put on dialysis, and then what happens is they stop altogether because they don't have to work, and your kidneys will atrophy. And if you don't know what dialysis is, you're hooked up to a machine for several hours when you go several times a week. So, um, and you usually have to get somebody to take you there and pick you up. So interesting things to think about. Um, you know, I get the same thing with people saying, well, my doctor says I have a baby cataract, but don't worry. Well, don't worry until it's big enough for them to, you know, do surgery. But there's things you can do about cataracts now so you, they don't get big. Seriously, their herbs are here for the service of man, and they're here for the healing of the nations. And God can't lie. See, he wants us to trust him. That's part of the faith walk here is to trust him and his herbs. And when I learned about the power of herbs, she could have knocked me over with a feather. Uh-huh. I had an issue uh, involving uh, one of my children, and it was a serious issue, and medicine had no answers. Now, you're talking about somebody who used to work in the medical industry. I used to work at the hospitals, and I was just like, Ugh. So I turned to the natural, and I was just dumbfounded how well my child responded and my my little my little journey into herbalism started then. I, I saw the power there and I thought, oh, this is the world's best kept secret. How empowering is that? Right? Where you don't need someone's permission to use some natural foods and herbs to get better. And I mean it, to get better because they're strengthening the body. They're not weakening it and making it dependent. So I want you to start thinking about those things. When you're thinking about your choices, which way you want to go, is it going to strengthen you or weaken you? Is it going to make you independent or dependent? Is it going to 
you know, restore or is it going to put you on lifelong medications? Always consider those two things because you have to ask yourself, what would happen if the drug companies don't make that drug anymore? And we're seeing that. Uh, hospital ERs don't have medicines like they used to anymore because drug companies quit making them. They didn't replace them with anything. Or the replacements are really hard to find. What do you do then? And if you're in a serious situation of renal failure, which is, you know, diabetes, kidney failure, what do you do then? Well, your choices are severely limited. I'll say that. And what I learned when I was in herbal school was optimal health is pretty basic and easy. It's, you know, we make things complicated in this world. Okay, so you want to keep your, your foods very basic, not very complicated. You know, you don't want to do a lot of fast foods and prepackaged stuff because there's way too much added to it that's not natural. So you want to, you know, do your own cooking, basically, and keep it simple. Keep your foods very simple. Fresh fruits and vegetables should be a majority of your portion of foods. Okay, and and you get a lot of the enzymes and antioxidants and vitamins and minerals that way. And then if you're if you're still lacking, this is where we're having to supplement because our foods aren't as healthy as 100 years ago. So, um, like your apples, 50% has 50% less uh, vitamin nutrition than it did in the 1900. So we have to do more and make sure that when you supplement your diet. Make sure it's whole food. It's not an isolated chemical. It's not a synthetic chemical, okay? Nutraceuticals are synthetic herbs. Not the same thing as what God made, okay? Whole food because all the enzymes and uptake minerals are needed for the major nutrients to be utilized. So be aware of that. And uh, so best kept secret, empower yourself. Learn how to do it, okay? Nobody's going to you know, protect your health and, and value your health more than yourself. So you got to look after it, and God expects you to do that, okay? So uh, we're going to do that. We're going to bless the Lord for his herbs, thank him very much for the medicinal power that he's given us, and uh, cleanse and nourish. Get the toxins out, put the nutrition in. You've pretty much got most internal medicine disease whooped, okay? Immune-boosting herbs are great for cold and flu, shortened duration of illness, but that's why we specialize in immune boosting organ cleansing because that's where it's at that's the empowerment part I'm out of time the information presented is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent or cure disease, seek medical advice from a licensed medical physician before using any product or therapy if you dare I'm Herbalist Wendy Wilson so next time I wish you all to be well
The political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time, I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preserve, or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com. N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
right, friends, good evening and welcome to the Covenanters Call. This is Pastor Mike Hoover, and we are broadcasting live from soggy southern Indiana, and we welcome you to the broadcast this evening. We are a Bible call-in question and answer program. If you've got a question or comment concerning anything that we're covering, or if you just have a Bible question, you feel free to give us a call here at American Voice Radio this evening, that number 1-800-932-1980. Once again, one 800 Nine three two one nine eight zero. If you'd like to call in on the local number, that number five four one eight two six zero nine five three. And uh, we encourage you to call in. Appreciate those who are in the chat room. You have the opportunity. You've got a new chat room, classy new look. Have uh, the opportunity there to listen to the broadcast while you are in the chat room. And if you have not uh, already signed up, then uh, you can just send that info to contact Frank here at American Voice Radio, and he'll get you set up. And uh, we enjoy the folks that come into the chat room. There, We have some folks that are pretty faithful. Now, I'm missing some of the regulars. I think that may be because they've not yet updated to the new chat room. I encourage them to do so. Uh, but we look forward to seeing everybody in there. Lively conversation always takes place in there. And I do try to monitor that while we are dealing with the broadcast. A couple of announcements. I appreciate if you'd be uh, remembering to uh, uh, pray for us as we here at Stampers Creek Historic Baptist Church are saving towards uh, our building. We're trying to get a, a building up here that we can meet in. None of us has a home large enough to do so. And uh, Lord willing, we're going to try and break ground in the spring if the Lord allows us to do that. If he changes uh, our direction, shows us something different, then that's the direction we'll be going in. But we appreciate your prayers along those lines. Also, remember family camp. It'll take place at Faith Baptist Church right outside Edderville, uh, Missouri, the week of the 20th of September. It'll be that Monday, or really starts on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, with uh, the people there at Faith Baptist Church, Pastor Shea Carpenter. If you'd like more information about that, we encourage you to contact us. We'd be glad to give it to you. But we look forward to being there every year. I think we've been there just about every year that we've been in southern Indiana, so this will be the 10th year. And uh, we look forward to it every year. Great time of fellowship. The food is great. The fellowship's fun. And even preaching's worth listening to. You have opportunity there uh, to just relax and uh, sit in under the old tent during the day and in the evenings while the preaching takes place. And uh, it's just a great time in the Lord. So we encourage you to come if you can. And if you're in that part of the country, we look forward to meeting you. Then also, appreciate if you'd be praying for my son and I, Pastor Keith Hoover, and myself, as we travel up the first real weekend there uh, of October, it's the 7th, 8th, and 9th, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and we will be preaching up in Wisconsin, outside Appleton, Wisconsin, and uh, once we get a little bit more information about that meeting, we'll be letting you know, but if you're up in that part of the country and you listen to the broadcast, we certainly would enjoy meeting you, and uh, just great food, it's great food, and you will really enjoy it, plenty of food there. At camp, and I'm sure up there at Appleton, uh, we're looking forward to that time. It'll be the first opportunity my son and I have to preach uh, grandpa and dad uh, messages there to the people, uh, looking at things from a perspective of uh, a grown son who has his own family and then old grandpa standing around there in the background. So if you're in that area, we look forward to meeting you. If you'd like more information, then we encourage you to contact us. Well, how are things looking to you right now? Um, I want you to know that one empire is dying, while another one is emerging. 
I remember here a while back listening to the coverage of the Dallas police officer shootings and uh, what was a horrible thing. It seems like that thing's taken root across the country. Now everybody believes that law enforcement officers are fair game. At least a certain group of people do. And uh, they're certainly making a mess of things as well as those police officers that don't belong on the force that make a mess as well. And there are, there are some of those. But you know what? When you look at things like that, and you look at the situation in our political system, a farce, then you realize just how true is the fact that one empire is dying and the other empire is emerging and coming forth. Um, you know, we live in an already dead zombie culture. They like to use that term zombie. There is no real such thing as the horrific uh, horror movie zombie that, uh, and I can't even describe them. I'm not that familiar with them, but there are a lot of people that run around like they have no idea what's going on. You see, this, this culture, this reality in America gets clearer by the day. And no matter how religiously secular experts strive to avoid acknowledging, much less dealing with this problem, the reality of this situation in any meaningful way is still true. Each passing milestone, doesn't matter if it's legalized porn, legalized child sacrifice, divorce on demand, gay marriage, phony economics, our NSA security state, our perpetual welfare state at home, or our perpetual war machine abroad, each one of these glaringly satanic approaches to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness has done nothing more but create another downward lurch into oblivion by a proud group of individuals that call themselves we the people who simply will not repent and submit to Christ as king over them in practice. And so this king of ours, the Lord Jesus Christ, by the way, he's king whether you like it or not. He's allowing this destruction to take place. He's doing it righteously. He's doing it purposefully. It's all according to plan and right on schedule. But friends, I want you to know this evening, as you listen to the broadcast, it's no one's plan other than Jesus Christ's plan. And it's going based upon no other schedule than the schedule that Jesus Christ has. You see, the Lord waited patiently and continues to wait patiently and graciously while he clearly issues the life-saving, loving command to repent and believe and be saved. But you see, we the people simply will not have it. We the people will not repent. We, the people, will not submit to God, and so we, the people, are being swept away. Which brings us very conveniently to this issue, whether or not America is found in the Scriptures. I want you to take your Bibles this evening. Turn with me to the second psalm. 
Every now and again, you hear about somebody that tries to find the United States of America within the eschatology and prophecy of the Word of God. I'd like to offer you something to consider this evening along these lines. Psalm 2. Now, if you've got your Bible and you've turned to that particular passage, I want you to follow along as I read. It's not a long psalm, but I'm going to begin reading in Psalm 2 and verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Why do the nations rage? Why do people today plot in vain? Let me ask you this question tonight, friend. Why do we, the people, rage against Christ as king? Why do we despise and reject even the thought of him ruling over us in practice and in detail? Why Rather than repent and submit to God, do we instead proudly pursue and relentlessly defend approaches to the law and liberty that enable legal porn, legal child sacrifice, legal casinos with legal strip clubs, legal divorce on demand, legal gay marriage, legal adultery-based businesses like Ashley Madison, and of course, Legally protected mosques, witches' covens, and satanic temples for the open worship of all manner of false gods, including Satan himself, is legal and even cherished as a great American virtue held high for the world to emulate. Boyfriend, talk about vanity and plotting a socio-political course in vain. Listen to verses 2 and 3. I want to read them again. Yet have I set... Excuse me, I'm verse 6 there. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Hmm. From every angle and at every opportunity. The pagan political left 
and the pagan political right wings of the progressive movement conspire to eviscerate true liberty and freedom and family and marriage and life as personally embodied and defined and sustained by God the Son, King Jesus Christ himself. They strive to intimidate, to control and enslave God's people through all manner of anti-Christ approaches to things like politics and law and economics and business and civil government and, for the most part, pretty much everything else. Listen to verse 4. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh and cast, excuse me, and the, the Lord shall have them in derision. You see, friends, the reigning king and author of all creation laughs at these pathetic, feeble attempts by created things to deny their own creator. He purposefully uses even their pouty, incoherent rebellion to demonstrate his majesty and his power and unshakable sovereignty over every, over every bit of his creation. Even these would-be gods who plot against him are his tools for his glory according to his purposes and on his schedule, however much they may imagine or pretend to believe otherwise. Listen to verses 5 and 6. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Jesus came, told them, there in the New Testament, you can read about it, last three verses of the book of Matthew, chapter 28, he said, all power is given unto me. All authority, it's given to me. And he told the church to go, and and I'm paraphrasing here, make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey all things that I've commanded you. You see, friend, the fact of Christ's present and complete authority over all things, including law and economics and business and civil government, is a very terrifying thing when you stop to think about it. Most especially for those who love to claim him with their lips while denying him in practice by refusing to submit to the clarity of his word. Does that sound familiar tonight, America? Verses 7 and 8. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Does anybody this evening really think that the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, forgot to ask? Does anyone really think that the Father is not even now delivering to the Son, Jesus Christ, the nations of the earth as his possessions? Hmm. Look at verse 9. 
Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. You see, friend, those who persist in refusing to obey Jesus Christ here and now in his creation will be broken. And they'll be broken by he himself. His personal nature defines and sustains all of his creation. So it is that all who persist in rebelling against his nature will be purged from his creation. Listen to verse 10. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Uh, Yes, that includes tonight you, Mr. American President. That includes you, Mr. Vice President. That includes those that are running for those positions. That includes you, Congressman. That includes you, Senator. That includes you, Governor. That includes you, Mayors out there. That includes you, County Commissioners. That includes you, Sheriffs as well. You are being warned You are being reminded, you are being commanded to submit to the king. Verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. You see tonight, friends, the author, the definer, the sustainer of all things, including law and civil government and politics, and all legitimate offices therein, commands your obedience. Submit to him, or suffer the inevitable consequences. Verse 12, kiss the son lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Kiss the sun, America, lest he continue to pour out his wrath upon you until there's nothing left. Take refuge in him, America. Repent of all your rebellion. Beg for his forgiveness. Hold nothing back. Repent of all the legal things that take place in this country that God's word says are sin. Kiss the son and submit to his perfect, loving, and unbreakable authority before he wipes you from the face of the earth. So with this wave of police killings, Louisiana, Missouri, Dallas, Milwaukee, coming hot on the heels of numerous deaths at the hands of police elsewhere. America is clearly spiraling even a little faster and a little more furiously today than she was yesterday. And my friend, that's saying something. America seems to be more out of control as the weeks go by. That's been how things have taken place around here now for a while. But friends, 
That wasn't really true what I just said. America is not spiraling out of control. This hard and beautiful truth is this, that this death spiral that we see our nation in is completely under control. It's being controlled by God. The Bible says in Psalm 9 and verse 17, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. Is more money what we need to save us? They may be better corporate jobs. How about more corporate jobs? Or more corporate jobs paying more Federal Reserve printed monopoly money? Or better yet, state-run temples of anti-Christian children's education? Or maybe a bigger military? And a more empowered police state to keep us safe? Friend, are these the things that we need to make America great again? While the abortion mills murder millions under police protection? Gay marriage licenses proliferate throughout the land? And false religions are encouraged to openly operate covens and mosques and satanic temples all across the land of the free and the home of the NSA? Or do we maybe need the gospel instead? As in the everything-touching gospel command to repent and believe and be saved. Not to be confused with the weak, watery, culturally impotent, counterfeit, pebbled by the, quote, Christian leaders, end of quote, for leading America to run in Jesus' name. Maybe we need to repent of our perversions of liberty. Maybe we need to repent of our perversions of law. Maybe tonight we need to repent of our perversions of freedom and our perversions of justice rather than proudly defending those perversions, even as God grinds us under the heels of his judgment. Just a thought. By the way, that's not a thought that's shared by most that name the name of Christ in America. At least not at the moment. But friend, God is good. He is always good. He has never ceased to be good. He will always be good. And he in his long-suffering grace and kindness offers us a chance to change what's taking place in this nation. He's giving us a chance even now to repent and to believe and to be saved. You see, that's what you need to consider tonight. We're about to go to break here. You stay with me. We're going to come back and deal with some more of this. But that's the greatest decision you'll make in this life. It's not what car you'll buy, where you'll work, who you'll marry, how much money you'll save, what you'll invest in, what you'll purchase. The most important decision that you'll make in this life is whether or not you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The most brilliant and knowledgeable decision is to trust Christ. And the decision that lacks that knowledge and precision is to reject him. You see, you can't get off of it easily and say, well, 
I just never decided. No, to not decide is to decide no. So that's the most important decision you'll make. We the people. We to talk of our freedoms while we murder our children. We to speak of our liberties while we allow the heinous things that you see every day take place in this land. Where groups of people declare a war against law enforcement officers. And law enforcement officers, some declare war against specific groups of people. I hear the music. We're going to go to break. You stay tuned for the second half of the Covenanters call. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. 
people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Welcome back to the Covenanters call. Once again, we're live this evening. Our call-in number, 1-800-932-1980. And uh, we would certainly love to hear from you. Matter of fact, I'd love to hear from you this week. Give me a, drop me an email. You can email me, themuggyown at cleanenter.net. Let me spell it for you. Themuggyown, T-H-E-M-O-G-O-L-L-O-N at C-L-E-A-N. I-N-T-E-R dot net. I had someone ask me just this week, where in the world did you come up with that name for yourself, uh, for your email address? And we used to live out there in Arizona, and we were just below the great muggy on rim, one of the largest plateaus, uh, at least in that part of the country. And uh, you could leave uh, uh, Pace in Arizona there. We were a little under a mile high and drive just 10, 12 miles north, and you were up over 7,500 feet. And uh, so we took that name. I figured nobody else would use that. So far, I've never met anybody that has used that. But uh, you can drop us that email. You can write to me here at the house. Uh, you can write to me, Pastor Mike Hoover, 2569 North State Highway 337 in Orleans, Indiana, 47452. Or give us a phone call to number 812-653-5578. We don't plan on hiding from anybody. We are here, and uh, we are enjoying ourselves. Uh, this coming March will be our 10-year anniversary uh, for the Stampers Creek Historic Baptist Church. Hard for me to believe that uh, in February of 2007, we loaded up uh, our belongings, and my wife and I and our unmarried daughter headed east and drove about 1,600, 1,700 miles and, and finally got to southern Indiana, and uh, for the first period of time, we were still doing radio during that time, although I had some guys fill in and help me out. But uh, for that first few weeks, we, uh, we lived in, the, lived in uh, a bedroom of, of one of our church families. They graciously gave us a place to live. And then we lived in uh, a travel trailer, 26-foot travel trailer for a while, and it began to 
dilapidate and fall apart. And um, we eventually rented a little house in Orleans, Indiana, lived there five years. And now um, the Lord uh, gave us five years ago a piece of property, about two and a half acres, old farmhouse. Uh, this house will be 100 years old next year, almost as old as we are. And uh, we're uh, looking forward to what the Lord's going to do here. But uh, God's blessing our church. We're seeing folks saved. And uh, we're just really enjoying what God is doing here. Uh, you're ever in our area. We'd love to meet you. Love to have you stop in, visit with us, and and uh, we'll feed you a meal. We'll send. I tell folk when they come to visit us, we don't want you to leave till you're fed up. And so we make sure they get a good meal in their bellies and they can go on down the road. You know, um, as we said on uh, two weeks ago, and I appreciate Brother Jason Burton filling in for us last week. Uh, we had a, a situation with a church family that we had to deal with. And uh, he graciously took the broadcast. He's in the chat room this evening, and uh, we're glad to see him there. But I appreciate his help. But the two weeks ago, uh, we began talking about the fact that today most religion is nothing more than entertainment. You see, that's what people want. Well, when you have a society that's filled full of several generations, and now it's not just the children anymore. It's their parents and their parents' parents that uh, the biggest muscles they have are on their thumbs from sitting around playing the video games, uh, a lack of reality. Um, there is no strength in their backbone. There's strength in their bottom bone because they simply want to sit around and accomplish nothing. There's, no, there's very little work ethic anymore. That, that's one of the ways we've been blessed greatly in our church. We have a number of families that uh, not only do they homeschool their children, which I believe is God's way, but uh, they also, uh, they've taught them work ethic. I mean, we got some young men in our church, buddy, just work you right under, work you right under the hill. I mean, they can just work all day long, and I appreciate that fact. But that's not, the, that's not what's true in our society today. People don't want to work. They want to be taken care of. And so that mentality has come into the church today, and I use that term church in a generic sense. Because just because a building is called a church or just because people say they're a part of a church, that simply just does not make it a church by the definition of the Scripture. So today what people want are religious shows. Now, friends, religious shows leave a bad flavor. See, when these people enter into the holy place, the place of worship, they come perilously near to offering strange fire to the Lord. At their worst, they're sacrilege. Always, they are unnecessary. And at their best, we're talking about entertainment now, they're a poor substitute for prayer and the Holy Spirit. Church plays are invariably cheap and amateurish. And in addition to grieving the Holy Spirit, those who attend them are cheated by getting wretchedly poor entertainment for their money. You see, friends, the reason evangelical Christianity has so many cowbells and hand saws and shows and films and funny gadgets and celebrated men and women to stir them up is because they don't have the joy of the Lord. A happy man doesn't need very much else other than the joy of the Lord. You see, they don't have joy, so they try to create it. I think that God in his heaven is probably more kind and patient about all this than I am. 
But I think that even God must get awfully sick of what he sees. All the little cowbells we have to jingle to try to be happy when we're simply missing the fountain of happiness that ought to spring up from within. When the well of joy isn't flowing, we try to paint the pump in order to get a little joy or tack jingle bells on the old pump handle. But friends, that simply just does not bring up water. Christianity has seen a steady decline in the quality of Christian worship on the one hand and on the other. The rise of religious entertainment as a source of mental pleasure. Wise leaders should have known that the human heart can't exist in a vacuum. If men do not have joy in their hearts, then they're going to seek it somewhere else. If Christians are forbidden to enjoy the Holy Spirit, then they'll turn to the flesh for enjoyment. And that is exactly what fundamental Christianity, as well as all those so-called full gospel groups, has done in the last half a century. God's people have turned to the amusements of the world to try to squeeze a bit of juice out of them for the relief of their dry and joyless hearts. Gospel boogie singing now furnishes for many people the only religious joy they know. Others wipe their eyes tenderly over gospel movies and a countless number of amusements flourish everywhere, paid for by the consecrated tithes of persons that ought to know better. Our teachers took away our right to be happy in God, and the human heart wreaked its terrible vengeance by going on a fleshly binge from which the church won't soon recover, if indeed it ever does. For multitudes of professed Christians today, the Holy Spirit's not necessary. They've learned to cheer their hearts and warm their hands at other fires. And scores of publishers and various graves of producers are waxing fat on their delinquency. The church today is suffering from a rash of amateurism. Any untrained, unprepared, unspiritual, empty rattle trap of a fellow who is a bit ambitious can start himself something religious. Then we all listen to him, pay him for it, promote him, and work to try and help this fellow who never heard from God in the first place. Amateurism has gone mad and gone wild. That's because we're not worshipers. Nobody who worships God is likely to do anything offbeat or out of place. Nobody who's a true worshiper indeed is likely to give himself up to carnal and worldly religious projects. Because we're not worshipers, we're wasting other people's money tremendously. We're marking time. We're spinning our wheels with the axles up on blocks, burning the gasoline and making a noise and not getting any place. God calls us to worship, and I find this missing in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in this day. Instead of worship, the churches are now second in entertainment to the theaters. Now listen to me carefully, friends. I want to tell you something. If I want to see a show, I know where I can see a good one put on by top flight actors who know what they're doing. 
If I want a show, I'll go to a place where I could see one that doesn't violate biblical principle. But I don't want to go to a church and see a lot of ham actors putting on some kind of home talent show. And yet that's where we are in churches today. We got more show in churches than anywhere else. When I say we're suffering from a rash of amateurism, I mean that we have to have just everybody and anything and any way worship. It can't be. You must prepare yourself to worship God. That preparation is not always a pleasant thing. There must be some revolutionary changes in your life. There must be some things destroyed in your life. You see, friends, the church is not a religious theater. To provide a place for amateur entertainers to display their talents. I hope that we'll remove from our hearts every ugly thing and every unbeautiful thing and every dead thing and every unholy thing that might prevent us from worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ and the beauty of his holiness. Now, I'm quite sure that this kind of thing's not popular. The world doesn't want to hear it, and the half-saved churches do not want to hear it as well. They want to be entertained while they're edified. Entertain me and edify me without pain. Seems like anymore just because a man can pick up a Bible and read a verse from it, he's a preacher. Seems like it's okay if he's <clears throat> not spending any time in the Lord's work. He just wants to step out and start a church. Okay, we're going to start a church. Nobody sent me but myself. Nobody's supporting me but the people I've fooled into taking care of me because I don't want to work. And these things are happening everywhere. Everywhere. You see, a crass example for the modern effort to use God for selfish purposes is the well-known comedian who, after repeated failures, promised someone he called God that if God would help him to make good in the entertainment world, then he'd repay God by giving generously to the care of sick children. Shortly afterward, he hit the big time in the nightclubs and on television. He's kept his word and is raising large sums of money to build children's hospitals. And these contributions to charity, he feels, are a small price to pay for the success in one of the sleaziest fields of human endeavor. One might excuse the fact and the act of this entertainer as something to be expected of the 20th century pagan, but that multitudes of Christians in North America should actually believe that God had something to do with the whole business is not so easily overlooked. This low and false view of God is one major reason for the immense popularity God enjoys these days among well-fed Westerners. You see, the average Christian is like a kitten that's found a ball of yarn and has played with the yarn and romped until it's wrapped in the cocoon. The kitten can't get itself out. It just lies there and whimpers. Somebody has to come unwind it. 
We've tried to be simple here, but instead of being simple, we have simplified. We have not become simple. We are sophisticated and overly complex. We have simplified until Christianity amounts to this. Are you listening? God is love. Jesus died for you. Believe, accept, be jolly, have fun, and tell others. And away we go. That is the Christianity of our day. Friends, I wouldn't give a plug nickel for the whole business of it. Once in a while, God has a poor, bleeding sheep that manages to live on that kind of thing. And we wonder how it takes place. And because we're not truly worshipers, we spend a lot of time in the churches just spinning our wheels. As we said earlier, burning gasoline. Making noise, but not getting anywhere. Listen to me tonight, fellow Christian, brother or sister in Christ. God calls us to worship. But in so many instances, we are in entertainment, just running a poor second to the theaters. See, that's where we are. Even in true churches, and I don't mind telling you that most of the people we say we are trying to reach will never come to a church to see a lot of amateur actors putting on homemade talent show. So many churches and other religious structures are being built these days that the building industry, which once considered such things something of a dead weight, is pretty well steamed up about the whole thing and is now quite eager to have the religious trade. Church memberships growing out of all proportion to the growth of the population. Converts to one or another religion are being sought on every level of society and among all classes and age groups. We have zealous work going on among children and young people. We're using sound trucks and radio and television and streetcars and billboards and neon signs and messages in bottles and even in balloons. We're using trained horses, trained dogs, trained canaries, ventriloquists, magicians, and drama to stir up religious interest. Innumerable professional guilds, industrial clubs, and businessmen's and women's committees have sprung up to provide spiritual fellowship for religious-minded persons engaged in the various pursuits of life. Religious songs are in the repertoire of many professional entertainers. Religions being plugged by nightclub entertainers, prize fighters, movie stars, and by at least one incarcerated gangster who has up to this time shown no sorrow for his way of life and no evidence of repentance. Religion, if you please, is now big business. Hmm. For centuries, the church stood solidly against every form of worldly entertainment, recognizing it for what it was, a device for wasting time, a refuge from the disturbing voice of conscience, a scheme to divert attention from moral accountability. For this, hmm, she got herself abused roundly by the sons of the world, but of late, she's become tired of the abuse and has given over the struggle. 
the church appears to have decided that if she can't conquer the great God entertainment, she may as well join forces with him and make whatever use she can of his powers. So today we have the astonishing spectacle of millions of dollars being poured into the unholy job of providing earthly entertainment for the so-called sons of heaven. Religious entertainment is in many places rapidly crowding out the serious things of God. Many churches these days have become little more than poor theaters where fifth-rate producers peddle their shoddy wares with the full approval of the leaders who can even quote a holy text in defense of their delinquency. And hardly a man dares raise his voice against it. The great God entertainment amuses his devotees mainly by telling them stories. The love of stories, which is characteristic of childhood, has taken fast hold of the minds of the retarded saints of our day. Yes, I said retarded. So much so that not a few persons manage to make a comfortable living by spinning their yarns and serving them up in various disguises to church people. What is natural and beautiful in a child may be shocking when it persists into adulthood, and more so when it appears in the sanctuary and seeks to pass for true religion. The cross stands high above the opinions of men, and to that cross all opinions must come at last for judgment. A shallow and worldly leadership would modify the cross to please the entertainment-mad saintlings who will have their fun even within the very sanctuary. But to do so is to court spiritual disaster and risk the anger of the lamb turned to the lion. Friends, it's because there are so many of these ignoble saintlets, these miniature editions of the Christian way, demanding that Christianity must be fun that distinct organizations have been launched to give it to them. Yes, there are organizations that exist for the sole purpose of mixing religion and fun for our Christian young people. Christianity, to the average church member, is simply an avenue to a good and pleasant time with a little biblical devotional material thrown in for good measure. Friends, I cannot determine when I will die. But I hope I do not live to see the day when God has to turn from men and women who have heard his holy truth and have played with it, fooled with it, and equated it with fun and entertainment and religious nonsense. You see, we can't deny that this attitude is found in much of current Christianity today. As a result, people have hardened their hearts to the point that they no longer hear the voice of God. Friends, the church is not a religious theater where performers are paid to amuse those who attend. It is an assembly of redeemed sinners, men and women, called unto Christ and commissioned to spread his gospel to the ends of the earth. You see, religious entertainment has so corrupted the church of Christ that millions don't know that it's heresy. Let me say that again. 
Religious entertainment has so corrupted the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that millions of people do not realize that what they're hearing is heresy. Millions of church people throughout the world have devoted themselves to religious entertainment. They don't know that it's as much heresy as the counting of beads or the splashing of holy water or anything else. And to expose this, of course, raises a storm of angry protest among the people. Their response is many times like this. To us, it's not broke, so don't try to fix it. There is such a lack of understanding of the true teachings of the Word of God today. There is such a lack of men behind our pulpits today who stand in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ but have no idea what they're doing. There is, there is I should say there are plenty of them. There's a lack of men that stand to know what they're doing. There is such a lack today of men preaching and teaching the Word of God. I am astounded by it. I cannot believe that people are willing to sit and listen to the religious entertainment of their day. Be satisfied. As the Scriptures say, they're like silly women. They heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. As the Scriptures say, they say, teach unto us smooth things. Friends, is it any wonder our nation's in the shape she's in? When the pulpits of this land and the churches of this land are in such sorry shape, we can't expect any better of the rest of society. This is the Covenanters Call. I'd love to hear from you this week. You can write to me, Pastor Mike Hoover, 2569 North State Highway 337, Orleans, Indiana, 47452. Drop me an email. That email address, once again, the Muggyone, T H E. M-O-G-O-L-L-O-N at cleaninter.net, C-L-E-A-N-I-N-T-E-R.net, or give us a phone call, that number, 812-653-5578. I usually don't answer my phone if there's no caller ID, and so uh, please try and use that. And uh, if, if not, leave me a message, and I'll sure get back to you. Don't be afraid. Uh, you'll hear my voice on there. But as I said, I'd love to hear from you. Now, there's more great entertainment coming on, or more great programming, I should say. <laughs> I don't mean that in a negative way coming up here, America Betrayed. And, and Mr. Francis Stephan will be on again here in just a little while. I encourage you to be a supporter of American Voice Radio, and uh, always worth listening to, and uh, always worth supporting. Uh, keep your head down. Uh, be on your guard and uh, be looking because something's coming down the road. And lots of times it's headed right toward you and I. Well, I think I'm hearing the music. My time is up. Until we meet you again on the airwaves, may God bless you is our prayer. Hey, have a great evening.
Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. And this is the American Independence Hour for Tuesday, 16th day of August, Year of Our Lord, 2016. I'm going to give you my disclaimer du jour, because I'm doing this du jour, because we've got another improvement, another amendment. It won't be long. We're going to have to do another hour on this program just so I can set the disclaimer. And first time, a man made in God's image. As per Genesis 1, 26 through 28, second, I'm endowed by my Creator with certain unalienable rights as per the second sentence of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, third, I'm one of the people of the state of Texas, a member state of the Perpetual Union of the United States of America. I'm broadcasting from within the borders of the state of Texas. I'm acting at arm's length, and I deny that I voluntarily agreed to act as fiduciary or surety for the government of the United States. And extra credit. I've realized, discovered just lately, reading some uh, oh, court documents and whatever, that in fact it's, it's, uh, it's, it's part of the United States Code where they talk about your right to file for a passport. And you can file for something called a non-citizen national status. Now, I don't wish to file for that. But what they make clear in the text on that subject is that the controlling factor for your nationality is the place of your birth. Well, and even even that, the more important point is your pledge, your oath of allegiance and or pledge of allegiance. It is your allegiance that determines your nationality. And in the section of the the passport application codes, but talking about 
a non-citizen national. You're not a citizen of the United States, but you're a national of the United States if you have pledged your allegiance to the United States. So it follows, from my perspective at least, that if you make your pledge of allegiance to the United States of America, as in I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, and so on, indivisible and with liberty and justice for all, if you've made that pledge of allegiance to the United States of America, then you are a national of the United States of America, which is not a bad thing in my opinion. And it is a big improvement over being a national of the United States. I don't want to be a national of the United States. So it appears, even though they don't expressly discuss it in the, uh, in the section on passport applications, it appears at least reasonable, rational, logical, maybe not legal, but reasonable, rational, and logical, that you can claim to be, based on your, on your Pledge of Allegiance to the United States of America, you can claim to be a national of the United States of America. And I wonder what would happen. In fact, I'm going to look at this, I, I'm going to go through this and think about it, and prepare a document to, to include with an application for a passport, and see if they will give me a passport as a national of the United States of America. So we'll watch and see, but in any case, that's a seventh point. And it's absolutely true. I have pledged allegiance, and based on the, the, uh, the code section that deals with passports and whatever, it appears possible. I mean, if I, if I were to pledge allegiance to Uganda, I would be a national of Uganda. If I were to pledge allegiance to France, I'd be a national of France, in theory. All right? So it seems seems fair to suppose that I could pledge allegiance to the United States of America, which I have done throughout most of my life, uh, and so have most of you. Which is brings up two other subjects. First, our co-host is Frank Stefan. Hello, Frank. Howdy, Al. Where are you pledging your allegiance locally or lately? Hmm. Well, nowhere lately. Uh, nowhere. Yeah. That's, not, that's one of the things I was thinking about. When was the last time you took a Pledge of Allegiance? Oh, uh, well, I guess the military would count. Say what? I guess the military, they, they make you take some kind of allegiance. Now they just let you get drunk on the, on, on the couple of days after, you, after payday. You can get drunk. That's the only thing they guarantee you in the military. Um, I don't know that it's a Pledge of Allegiance, but it's a pledge to... Well, it's some kind of loyalty oath or some Support kind of thing. They do. Yeah, maybe yeah. I, I am an American fighting man, yada, 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 general yeah, orders, yeah. that sort of thing. But I guess the last time I actually took, you know, the Pledge of Allegiance was probably back in high school. Yeah, it's. I think I've done it since then. I know they used to do it at baseball games and football games and that sort of thing. I don't. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it done in years. Maybe they're doing it, and I just haven't noticed. But it seems when I think about it that maybe the Pledge of Allegiance has been circumvented, sort of, yeah, something like that, relegated to the well, past. Well, yeah, because at, at sporting events, you know, they what I've noticed is they basically just play the national anthem, and, you know, mm-hmm. people, 
you know, some people put their hand, put their hand over their heart. Yeah. And, and yeah. you can see them mumbling, but then again, they could just have Alzheimer's. But, you know, it, mm. it they're probably doing it. Get on with the right. commercials. <laughs> Get the beer over here. You know, but I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like a, okay, everybody repeat after me sort of thing at these, uh, no. you know, sporting events anymore. I haven't seen it. It might be taking place, but I haven't seen it. I'm wondering about that. Because it's a little bit consistent with what I've just turned up just in the last few days reading relevant law on the passport applications. So what is an easy definition or uh, differentiation between a citizen and a national? I think, well, they, they make a proviso for a non-citizen national of the United States. I'm arguing that there should also be a proviso for a non-citizen national of the United States of America. Right? What's the difference between citizen and national? One clue is I wrote a book, assembled information that had been provided by, I can't even think of his name anymore, Tom Dunn, and uh, they were the ones that under, that. that uncovered the missing 13th Amendment. And I can't think of the second guy's name, and he did most of the work. Tom Dunn was just kind of along for the ride, and yet I remember him, and I can't remember the second one's name. Geez, I we, can't either, and I know who you're talking about. Yeah. They went all around the country, and they went yeah, to all these right. different archives, right? That's and right. Yeah, that's okay, right. I know exactly. You, I can't remember the name. You ever meet the guy? No, no, I haven't. It, dead ringer for Santa Claus. Okay. Had a big white beard and the rest of that sort of thing, and he looked just like Santa Claus. He looked like the Coca-Cola Santa Claus out of the 1940s. Um, really a jovial guy and the rest of that sort of thing. I, and I, just for the life of me, I should be able to remember, but I can't. But in any case, the missing 13th Amendment declared that anyone who accepted a title of nobility would forfeit their citizenship. All right? And... That seemed odd to me. It wasn't the, you weren't going to throw them out of the country. They weren't going to be deported if they took a title of nobility. Uh, they would simply forfeit their citizenship, and what that meant is they would not be allowed to hold public office. Now, what this suggests to me, I'm understanding the Constitution as a trust, I'm understanding the basic, the beneficiaries of the Constitution, certainly the state Constitution, to be the people of the, of the, you know, the ordinary people of the state are the beneficiaries, and the government employees are the fiduciaries. That citizenship of the United States, for example, or citizen of Texas, state of Texas, maybe even the state of Texas, I think citizenship allows you to hold public office. And when they, if you take a title of nobility, you can't hold title under the missing 13th Amendment, you could no longer, you would forfeit your citizenship. But you could still stay in the country and own property and whatever, but you couldn't, you couldn't pick up, you probably couldn't serve on a jury either. What I'm getting to, and I haven't seen anything that says this, this is just pure speculation. I think citizenship might be synonymous, at least in part, with the idea that if you're a citizen of the United States, you are or can be a fiduciary relative to the government. You can be a government employee, a government officer. But the national 
I think maybe the national is the beneficiary. I think maybe the national of the United States of America or national even of the United States, maybe, from a trust perspective, maybe that signifies the beneficiary to that trust. So that would be my answer du jour. I've had a... uh, I've had a disclaimer du jour so far on this program, and now I've got an answer du jour. We have, may have a couple more things du jour before we're done. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I really don't know what the difference no, neither do is, I. is there about either one of them, because they both seem to have some sort of loyalty associated. Well, that loyalty goes with the allegiance apparently applies to the status of nationality. But doesn't a citizen owe allegiance to? Isn't that a part of being a citizen, that you owe allegiance to the country that you are a citizen of? Or is that just a national? I don't honestly know. Um, All I can tell you is they have a classification for non-citizen national of the United States. I'm wondering about it when I run through the paperwork. I'm wondering asking the same questions. I kind of came up with an answer, but it doesn't mean it's the right answer. Well, yeah, and there's no way to know until you actually fill out the paper and see if they'll give it to you. You know, I mean, that's really the uh, the real yeah, test. And if nobody you know? kicks in the door, if no one kicks in the door and starts shooting at you, then I guess, well, maybe I did it right, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's the test. No bullets? Well, I must have done this right. Yeah, right, right. Maybe they or maybe they just haven't had a chance to well, look. Well, I, you know, something you mentioned about, well, if you are a citizen, you can be a... Uh, you know, a, a fiduciary in the yeah, government. But what if, uh, what if you're a citizen of the United States of America, or versus, you know, a citizen of just the United States? Are you allowed to hold offices interchangeably in those two, or are they separate too? I'm inclined to think they're separate. They seem to be because nobody seems to be, uh, you know. President of the United States of America. No. That's not something that exactly comes up. It might be there, and it may be that Obama maybe wears more than one hat. Maybe he's both both president of the United States and president of the United States of America. And if you're listening to this program for the first time, and you haven't heard this kind of conversation before, the United States of America, in quotes, quote, the United States of America, unquote, and the, and the words are capitalized, not all uppercase, all of them, including the word the, capitalized. The United States of America um, is the name of the Confederation and Perpetual Union that was created by the Articles of Confederation in 1781. That was our first constitution, and it was the constitution of the United States of America. It constituted or created a new political entity called the United States of America. And they have it in there in quotes. It's not something that tells us this is the proper name for this entity. The Constitution of the United States, we are all familiar with that. That came out, it was ratified by the people in 1788, uh, something like seven years later. It was the Constitution or creation of an entity called United States. All right. Different entity. United States includes the District of Columbia. It includes territories and possessions. 
The United States of America in the Articles of Confederation includes only states of the Union. All right, 13 at the time, in theory, there could be 50 states of the Union today. But the United States of America, that is the name of the perpetual Union, and because it's perpetual, it's still here. It may be vacant and that no one is occupying public office in the United States of America anymore, but it's still here. It was declared to be perpetual back with the Articles of Confederation, and that's borne out in part with the preamble of the Constitution, which I'll read, I'll have to, I have to look it up, it says, We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, they didn't replace the existing union styled the United States of America. It was not replaced, it was perfected by means of adding an entity called United States. Establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity. We ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. They never named the Constitution of the United States. We call it the Constitution of the United States. That's a name that we've bestowed on it, but the document itself doesn't, doesn't carry a title, doesn't carry a proper name for the document, um, which you would es- expect. And it's one of these well, bizarre mistakes, well, or, um, in my opinion, omissions, that lay, lays the foundation for a lot of confusion that's here even today. What is the United States? What is the United States of America? All I can tell folks, if you're hearing this for the first time and you think it's crazy, there is evidence that these are two different entities. There's no proviso for for territories or districts within the United States of America created by the Articles of Confederation. I think the Constitution, what we've come to call the Constitution of the United States, was particularly established in order to deal with new territories. And also provide a district that was for exclusive legislative jurisdiction that came to be called Washington, D.C., Washington District of Columbia. Mm-hmm. That wasn't provided for in the, in the, uh, uh, the Articles of Confederation. Yeah, it know. was in the Constitution of the United States. And the point behind this, as nutty, one of the bizarre things about this is that Washington, D.C. is arguably, as, as nutty as this sounds, Washington, D.C. is arguably in the United States, but it's not in the United States of America. Now, that's a sort of thing you can make that statement that kind of boggles the mind, and you have to dismiss it on one level and say, well, it's just crazy talk. But maybe not. There's no proviso for the District of Columbia or territories like Puerto Rico and Guam, uh, U.S. Virgin Islands, no proviso for territories, no proviso for districts like the District of Columbia in the Articles of Confederation. No, and most people think, you know, the Constitution and the U.S. Code makes provisions for, you know, different places to be different state to be states at different, you know, depending on what code you're in. Oh, well, I understand. It's going to be Puerto Rico. Next time it isn't. You know? yep. And in <laughs> fact, I've got the document. I know I sent a copy of that document over to you. But I started to go through it. The list of sections of the United States Code that have been identified as defining the term United States. 
And I have 12 pages of these various sites. I haven't counted them up yet. I haven't been through all of them, and I don't know if I'll ever get through all of them. But they have the term continental United States is defined. Um, The term geographical United States is defined. Uh, What else have we got? It says United States when used in the geographical sense, but not the term continental United States includes all territories and possessions of the United States other than the Philippines. All right? All territories and possessions of the United States. They are defining this of the United States. And yet, if you scroll on down through this a ways, um, what was I just reading that from? I just saw us give people a little bit of a reference. That was 22 U.S.C. United States Code, Section 1395. All right, and it says United States. This means uh, when used in a geographical sense, but not the term continental United States includes all territories and possessions of the United States other than the Philippines. What do I mean by the geographical sense? I'm I'm not sure. I, I don't know because I just presumed that continental was the same as geographical. Well, apparently not. Apparently they're not. Telling yeah. us, uh, at least in this instance, they're telling us not. When they talk about the geographical United, United States, and there's three or four definitions of geographical United States that, that's been provided on this list. Geographical has to, to my, from my perspective, I presume it's synonymous with territorial. Uh, the territorial United States. Uh, when it's used in the geographical sense, it means in the territorial sense. That's my presumption. I don't know that it's true. But all the territories and possessions of the United States, other than the Philippines, they have other they have other definitions. Where it uh, here's the United States at Title Eight, uh, Section 1101 says, except as otherwise. The term United States, except as otherwise specifically here and provided, when used in the geographical sense, means means the continental United States, Alaska, Hawaii, Puerto Rico, Guam, the Virgin Islands of the United States. All right? Okay. This is a, a, so I, I a definition from it that did not include <laughs> continental United States. This one does include the continental United Geographic, when used in the geographic sense, geographical sense, We've read a definition. It does not include does not include continental United States. Here's another de- here's another definition of when United States, when used in the geographical sense, it does mean and does include continental United States plus Alaska, Hawaii, Puerto Rico, Guam, and Virgin Islands. Okay. What's the significance of seeing Puerto Rico, Guam, and, Vir- and Virgin Islands? Well, they're territories. They're territories, and they are not states of the right. union. So, All right, so we got a different kind of okay. we've got a different kind of entity going I, on. I'm taking, I'm taking this as I was half right then. Well, because one definition from, from my perspective, you're the producer, Frank. <laughs> if you want to claim to be half right, that still means you're half wrong. Well, hey, it's the best you can do with these codes. I mean, you got one over there that says yes, it is, and then you got another one. No, it's not. I know. Yeah. Oh, hey, you know, there was one thing. When they say when used in the geographical sense, they imply that there's another, there's at least one other sense in which you can use the term United States, and there might be 20 different senses. 
But what do you think, can you think of a geographical, is something other than a geographical sense when we're talking about the term United States? I don't know, districts, uh, political entities? Uh... Political, political. Okay. The United States, when used in a political sense, would be a different United States than the United States used in the geographical sense. If it's true that the geographical sense means we're talking about the territorial United States, then we're probably in the, ter- in the geographical and or territorial well, United States, we're subject to Congress's will. They can do anything they want. You know what They're this, the sovereign and we're the subject. What this but is demonstrating to me is that the people that write this stuff are insane. Well, or they, they're, they're trying to hide it. something. And the people who read it, they go insane. I'm one of, I'm, I'm one of the people that's well on my way. I've, again, we've got, I've got 12 pages here of this, and there's probably six or eight definitions on a page. There might even be 10. Ballpark figure, we've got at least 60 different definitions of United States. And some of them, we, some of them may be identical definitions. I won't say that there's 60 and each one is unique. If I had to guess, there's somewhere between five and ten unique definitions for the term United States. I haven't read through it all, haven't counted them up, I don't know that for a fact. But that tells you something. How the heck can we have scores of definitions for the term the United States that vary from, from, from title to title and section to section? How is it that a term as fundamental as United States doesn't have a single meaning and has multiple various meanings scattered throughout the United States Code? There is sub- subterfuge around. You done right there. That's what I think. These but, guys are up to something. And and again, whatever they're doing, whatever they're doing, there should be a single definition for term as important as the United States. And the one thing about it, the, the term the United States of America, where the words are capitalized, including the word the, um, so far as I know, there's only one definition for that term. And it's the name of the Confederation and Perpetual Union. Perpetual Union, it's still here. Got to be here. And when they said again, we'd make a more perfect union uh, in the preamble of the Constitution, they're saying, no, we didn't. We didn't. Constitution didn't replace the Union. It was merely an addition, and I think primary reasons, again, were to provide legal accommodation for territories that they, they were beginning to acquire and, uh, and make proviso for districts. Well, that could be. But, uh, we've, I think we've got a caller, but one thing first is... Are they going crazy already? Are they threatening to shoot? I have no idea. Have we driven them mad? It's going to be a surprise, but... Well, uh, let me give you one more thing here before the caller gets on here. Here's 7 United States Code, Section 2116, and it says definitions, and it says, as used in this chapter, the term United States means the 50 states of the United States of America. Now, elsewhere, they've they've said United States means the states and territories of the United States. Here they say of the United States of America, but the the is not capitalized. Yeah, they're pulling something. Yeah, I know, I know, it's just bizarre, it's crazy, it's insane. But what happens, you know, as I said earlier in the program, what happens if I claim to 
I have pledged allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. What if I make the argument, I have pledged my allegiance to the United States of America, and based on the sections I've got from the passport code, that means that I am a national of the United States of America. Will they give me a passport? They might. You know, I mean, they might. I don't know. I mean, I'd say, you know, the odds are not in my favor. I'd say, yeah, they might. But I would not say that they're likely to do it no. unless I can really dot every I and cross every T. Well, they to make might, a pretty, meaning, you know, there's very persuasive. In the passport, modern pass, passport application, does it says, if there's anything else you need to explain here about your status or whatever, attach a document. All right, there's a, words to that effect that are, you have the right to add additional disclaimers, qualifications. This is who I am. All right? You can at least say, look, I'm one of the people of the state of Texas. What are they going to do? Are they going to say, no, you're not? <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, I mean, but maybe they will. Well, it's hard to say what's going to happen, but it's going to be an interesting experiment. But I won't get to it. Maybe they are, but they don't get to have they don't get to have passports. They don't. They never get to leave Texas. See, that's the problem. Now, there there was one other thing uh, that you brought up about the Constitution not having a title. Yep. However, you know, in the law, uh, you go in the statutes or uh, you know whatever, and the title is not actually part of the law. It it doesn't count as the law. Yeah. No, I found this out when I was uh, doing my lawsuit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every every statute, at least here in Oregon, has, you know, a little title. They got the no, the section number, and then they have a little, you know, look, a sentence as a title. An but, act to do good deeds for good people of the good state of Oregon. Yeah, exactly. And what that actually means is we get to rob you, SOBs. And take every dime you've got. That's what's in the body. The kind, yeah, but the title doesn't of the matter. Is doing <laughs> it, good deeds. Yeah, because it doesn't matter. It's not part of the law. Mm-hmm. So they can say, "Oh, you know, this is a hey, we're here to help, or just help. We just want to help." But then the law says, "Well, we're not going to help, and we're going to actually hurt you, and this and that." And that's the law. You know, so maybe this. I don't know how long-standing that is in in legal legalese that titles are not part of the law, but perhaps the people that wrote the Constitution realized, hey, we're just adding on to the Articles of Confederation. This doesn't need a title. Oh, it's I understand. Just a, you know, it's just an add-on. Well, that may be. The whole thing may have been something like an amendment. Yeah. All right. And it, it certainly expands it, it provided legal foundation for them to hold territories. And Washington, D.C. It's not there in the Articles of Confederation. And that being the case, you can make the argument again. Territories, no territories in the United States of America. If you can establish, in my opinion, if you can establish that you are acting within the borders of a state of the Union and or within the United States of America, I don't think that the United States can lay a glove on you legally. Now they can come in and smack you around with a with a stick or shoot gun or shoot bullets at you or whatever I suppose. But uh, legally, you may be outside their jurisdiction. Well, I I certainly agree with that because I mean it's you know there's just too much evidence. It's like you know I mean look you look at Hillary Clinton and the Democrats and say she's not a crook all they want, but she is a crook because all the evidence points to she's a crook. No matter yeah. how much they say she's not a mm-hmm. crook, just like this you know. 
hey, it's okay, maybe it's not. It walks like a duck. You know, yeah. Yeah, it talks like a duck. It quacks like a duck. It goes good with orange sauce. We're going to have to sit back and say, hey, maybe we have a duck here. You know, and it's really not even all that complicated other than if you just read slow and you go, wait a minute. Am I really reading? I mean, you might have to stop a couple of times and go, wait a minute. Am I really reading that? Did they really say that? That happens a lot, kind of like when, you know, there's a definition that says, yes, it is, and then the next one says, no, it ain't. Now you got to figure out which one's the, you know, how this makes sense. This but, is why we have lawyers to protect us from this insanity. <laughs> yeah. Like a lawyer's, you look into a lawyer, you try to make sense of it, and the lawyer pretends he makes sense of it. He doesn't know any more about it than we do. Now they just make a deal with other lawyers. But it doesn't say, make them crazy the way it makes people, it makes normal people crazy, but not the lawyers. Let's pretend we know what we're doing and just charge a bunch of money. We do have a caller, I'm, I'm pretty sure, anyway. All right. Let's yeah, just up. Go ahead, caller. Hey, guys. Hey, Frank. Hey. Hey, how are you doing, Frank? Good, good. Who is this? Uh, this is Russell from Texas. Hi, Russell. Hey, Alfred. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Russell? Hey, I haven't talked to you in a while. The last time I called, we talked about passports, and I got on uh, uh, a little bit late, like 8.06, and I heard you, uh, you know, talking away on it, so I thought mm-hmm. I'd better call in and get, out, get in on this. <laughs> good, good. Um, because you have succeeded in getting a passport that, if I understand correctly, identifies you I'm not sure that you'll agree with the terminology I'm using, but I'm going to say national of the United States of America, uh, as opposed to of the United States. Do I understand this correctly or not? Correct. Okay. Yeah, and, uh, you know, one of the things, uh, you know, I'd like to bring to the conversation that, that you brought up earlier when I first got on at 8.06 or 7, you were talking about the oath of allegiance, and I can't yes. tell you how critical that is. That is yeah. very, very critical. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> like I said, it. I'm just reading, just in the last day or two, I'm reading some of the sections on on the passport application law uh, from the United States Code. In fact, I'm reading it from the Department of Secretary of State website. And it makes it clear that this allegiance is critical. Your pledge of allegiance, this may be... The single most important thing you do, I'm not sure if that's, that might be, that might not be a correct statement, but it's not too far from wrong. It's not too Where far have from you... wrong, believe me, and uh, you're, you're exactly right, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't read too much off the website. There is some good information on the website, but that is not the law, you know, it's kind of like... Well, it's a place uh, to start. It's a place to start, yeah. and it's the sort of thing, uh, it may not be the law, but it's one of the things that you can say, look. You guys said this on your website. I mean, they are essentially advertising a particular service. They're advertising, uh, they're at least implying the law. They specifically reference sections of the United States Code. I mean, it, it, it's, right. it, would, it certainly right, seems like they're maybe right. given legal like advice, so it's something you can start with and throw it in their it's face. It's like the IRS Code, you know. People talk about the IRS code, and then they, they, they talk about those little pamphlets that the IRS puts out, and they try to explain things, but you've got to realize they'll even tell you those are not law. You cannot rely on our pamphlets that we try to explain these things. I agree with that. And those cannot I agree be brought with up in a court. 
Yeah. And so one of the things I was going to give you as, as some sage advice is stick to the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1952. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is the law that the passports, uh, you know, law comes from. And you and I both know uh, I was in the technology business. And, you know, when you program a computer, you, you know, you program specific code. You, you can't type in code that, that shouldn't be there and expect the output that you're going no, to I get. Understand that. Input is critical to your output. So look yeah. at this code as a computer program. Now, some of the stuff you said earlier, I agree with, but you can't type that in to the passport application and expect to get the output that you want because it's not recognized by the computer. Okay, so you got to really stick to the options that you have in the code. So that would be, you know, what, what you and I could talk about later uh, in private. But you hit the nail on the head what I was going to say about the permit, it's called permanent allegiance. Okay? Yeah. yeah. And uh, on, on the application, uh, you know, when you read it, it says, you know, um, you're, you're a citizen or, or a non-citizen national uh, of the United States, you know. And when you look at those definitions and who, that, who both of those options owe allegiance to, you're going to be surprised because both of those, a citizen and a national of the United States both owe allegiance, permanent allegiance, to the United States, which means district. I agree with that. I I agree with that. And somehow they've preserved. How how have they presumed that you owe your allegiance to the United States? Because I've taken a, well, I've taken, you know, I've said the Pledge of Allegiance repeatedly during my life to the flag of the United States of America. Now, are they, do you think they're interpreting that to mean the United States rather than the original United the United States of America, um, where well, do they come up with I pledge, where do they come up with my pledge of allegiance to the United States? Yeah, you know, uh, we, you know, when I was a kid, uh, you know, I grew up going to school probably in the late '60s, early '70s, and we said the pledge of allegiance every day. And now they took it out to where I don't think they do yeah, that anymore. And United I don't States think I think I think this is an important point. And I think if you can approach the passport people and say, look, I have repeatedly taken a Pledge of Allegiance through my lifetime, and it's the only pledge I've taken of allegiance that of which I'm aware to the United States of America. And I'm going to say that I'm, I'm pledging to the Confederation and Perpetual Union. That's where I pledged, and that's where my nationality would seemingly lie. Will well, they correct I, I me and say, no, you're further. crazy, forget the Pledge of Allegiance, it doesn't matter? <laughs> uh, I'll go a step further and uh, kind of try to explain it. Uh, you know, those two options there are the wrong options if you want to be a State of the Union, uh, capital C citizen, or national is what they call it. It's mm-hmm. uh, one who owes permanent allegiance to a smallest state. And, and I, if I were to make it... Uh, more explanatory, I would say a small s state of the union is what is what it should say. I agree I'm with you. I'm not going to put that in mm. there. Okay. So I don't even know if it's so a small s state of the union, but I might say a, I might be inclined to say it was a capital s state, but of the union is what's critical to my mind. Okay, so I'll I'll, I'll give you a little tidbit on that small s state versus capital s state. Uh, you know, we're buzzing in and out on this, Russell, and I can't hear you all the time. And right now, if you're okay. saying something, I can't hear what you're saying. Go ahead. Okay, can you hear me now? I can now. 
Okay. So basically, uh, in the organic documents, uh, I agree. It was a capital S state uh, in the organic documents, but when the government kind of changed uh, after the Civil War and all that, uh, you know, they pretty much changed the capital S state to mean the District of Columbia and its territories and possessions, and they converted uh, the state of the Union to a small S state because it's a matter of perspective, you know, during that time period. So a small, a small S state is, is really, uh, if, you, if you look under Texas v. White, uh, Texas v. White will kind of uh, explain that uh, you know, more, more concisely than I can. But the point I want to try to make is this before you know, I get cut off again or you can't hear me again, is uh, the oath you know, on the application is not the correct one. And so it says in the instructions, uh, you know, if this doesn't fit your particular status, uh, then you can attach an explanatory statement. So yep. the explanatory statement would be under, um, you know, your penalty of perjury, and so you're so you're telling the truth and you're swearing by it. And in there, you would need to alter the oath to fit uh, uh, the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1952, Section 101A21. The term national means a person owing permanent allegiance to a state of the union. So you would you would alter the oath. Uh, to take out, you know, citizen or national of the United States and put in the national definition. And you could even put uh, a national of, and then I heard you say about the United States of America, uh, as in the organic doc, you could put that, or you could just put national uh, as per, you you could put national and then say um, defined as Texan, you know, uh, citizen of, I would be inclined to say national of the state of Texas. The only thing I the only thing I object to about that is if I'm gonna if I'm going to swear permanent allegiance to the state of Texas, what happens if I move to Oklahoma? Do I still owe my Uh, fundamental allegiance? I mean if it's permanent allegiance, it means it's there forever. I would prefer to to swear permanent allegiance to the United States of America. Then I'm good, from my perspective, within the borders of the state of Oklahoma, the state of Texas, the state of Illinois. I'm good in all 50 states of the Union. Um, and I don't know whether I'm being foolish or, or not. Does that strike you as a sensible concern? Well, um, basically, if you were, you know, what state were you born? Illinois. Okay, so really, uh, you know, under these laws, uh, you, you will always be an Illinoisan, okay, or whatever whatever they call your state. Like uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's in the it's in the uh, government printing office style manual, and back in the eighties, and they still use it. And it says, uh, you know, when when using these terms for nationality of of the states, you know, here's the words you use, and they list all fifty states of the union. And for like Texas, it'll say Texan, you know, California, Californian, and, and that's yep. your nationality. And that's what it calls it, nationality. So the national is is the state you were born. So you will always be an Illinoisan, uh, okay? So when you apply, you're applying as an Illinoisan. But but once you have allegiance, but do I? But I don't Indian, feel like I own permanent oh permanent allegiance to Illinois. Okay, well hold on, let me go ahead and finish because what that means is you'll always be an Illinoisan, but you can live in any of the fifty states of the union, and they all guarantee you the same right. As okay. a national or a state citizen, no matter which state 
you want to make your domicile. So even though you're an Illinoisan, you can domicile in Texas, which is your intent for that to be your your home forum state. And uh, but you're you're, you're still uh, by the law an Illinoisan, but you're you're domiciled in, te- in in Texas, and you have all the same rights that you would have in any of the fifty states of the union. I get what you're saying, but still. I'm looking at this, and the fact remains that I have pledged allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And that's the only pledge of allegiance I've taken, to my knowledge or recollection. So to yeah, my mind, if, if allegiance, allegiance is school, critical, pardon me? It's, it's a pledge of allegiance in school, which is like, you know, uh, you didn't, you know it, wasn't, it wasn't a document that you swore allegiance to. It was an oath, you know, a pledge you took in school. But, but this passport... When you read this passport legislative bill, it's very clear. The term national means a person owing permanent allegiance to a state of the union. And, and of course, when you do that, uh, you're also uh, uh, part of, of that, uh, the United States of America. Okay, so, you know, really, if you want to call it dual, you can. But, you know, I, I think it's like ipso facto. You know, if, if you're a Illinoisan, you're, you know, wherever you want to domicile, you're always treated like, you know, you're the same because they're all they all entered uh, into this permanent perpetual union. Yeah, so, you just faded out the critical again. Part, you know, the critical part is altering the oath uh, with an explanatory statement and then mm-hmm. uh, using the terminology on A21. So uh, I wouldn't stray too far bringing in all these uh, programming codes that, that won't get you anywhere because this process is very specific. See what I'm saying? So, I don't doubt it. Like I say, I'm not trying to rush this. I'm trying to think my way through it. But I'm, my main point when we started the program is simply that I've understood for the first time that the allegiance is more important, or at least it strikes me as more important than the place of birth. Now, maybe that's correct. Maybe it's not correct. Or maybe well, the two things mean the well, same. Well, you know, your, your, your place of birth was Illinois. And so when you, when you go through this process, you know, you owe permanent allegiance to the state of the union you were born in. Does it mean you have to stay there? I don't know if that's exactly true, because part of the document I was reading, they referred to, they discussed what happens if an immigrant comes in, and he has to take an oath of allegiance to become one of the people of this country. All right? I, the fact that I was born in Illinois... For example, what if I was born to, to, my parents are both citizens of the United States. Let's suppose that. And I was born while they were on a vacation to England or, or to uh, Kenya or Brazil. Now, I'm not born in one of the states of the Union. Do I owe my allegiance, my permanent allegiance to Brazil if I happen to be born there to American parents? Can't hear you. Um, you know, I haven't really had to deal with that. You know, I, yeah, I, I understand that, that, but you see my, yeah. you see the point I'm getting to. Part of what I'm getting to is this: the fact of my birth has nothing to do with my choice. I did not choose where I was born. But if I take an oath of allegiance, that's an expression of my intent. Particularly if I take that oath after I'm say say 18 years old, and I'm presumed to be something like an adult, <clears throat> Frank. Another few years, and we may both be eligible 
as adults to take some of these oaths. But what I'm trying to get to, that oath is an expression of my intent. Not the accident of my birth, but my intent. To me, that oath of allegiance would would be more binding on me than the than the accident of my birth. I've got I've got a question. Uh, well, I don't know, Al, if you know it, uh, but for I don't know any of this but, stuff. But, I just I just I just talk about it. The thing, no, the thing is, okay, before the Fourteenth Amendment, yeah. everybody's citizenship was based. I mean, they had you know citizens of the United States of America, but it yep. was based on your state citizenship. I'd say that's true. So. Before the 14th Amendment, how did they go about issuing passports? It was handled by the states themselves. Yes. Yes. The states were responsible at least for immigration, and it wasn't a... I I don't recall when the United States stepped in and said, we're going to handle all of the immigrants from now on. And you states are no longer involved in that. I don't doubt that was a very important change, and it did not reflect just what was going on, how we administer immigrants coming into this country. I, that had, I think that marked a point where we moved from the presumption of being in a state of the union to perhaps being in some sort of a territorial or state administrative state, state of the United States, rather than state of the United States of America. Do you know anything about that, Russell? Um, you know, I do know on, on Frank's question... Uh, there was a prominent uh, person in California who was a judge out there, and he was considered the expert at that point in time on these matters that Frank asked about. And, and he said, uh, you know, uh, prior to the 14th Amendment, you know, every, everyone was considered a capital C citizen of their state of the union. And he says, even though they, they, they said oh, yeah. when they traveled abroad that we're a citizen of the United States, this prominent judge said there is no such thing as a citizen okay. of the United States. Did you hear that? Um, yeah, I, I didn't hear all of it. It blanked out for no, five I mean, seconds. I, so. so it's kind of like when they were saying we're citizens of the United States, that's like saying we are citizens of the several states of the Union rather than I think that's what the they're saying. United that's, states. That's one of the problems Correct. we face. The founders were were very casual the way they they used the term United States, and they didn't bother to define it at least not in the in the in the Constitution. And they talk about the several states in the United States, and they mean the United States of America apparently, or maybe they mean something that I'm not yet able to understand. I think you're right, Al. I think it was very casual use in the organic documents of the term United States because yeah. it wasn't referred to as the District of Columbia at that point. Oh, it no. meant the several states no. of the Union. Yeah. And then, then it was co-opted uh, after the 14th Amendment, uh, you know, to, to, to bring volunteers over to get the government cheese and opt in to the democracy in that yep. area. And, uh, of course, for taxes and different, you know, 100% plenary power, over those people as opposed to having to sort everybody out. Well, this guy over here has full bill of rights. This guy's living on privilege. This guy's a foreigner who came in on a privilege. So we have to treat all of these guys differently. And yeah. they didn't want to do that. So. Yeah, I understand that. I, well, they had a problem. 
You know, the Dred Scott decision from the Supreme Court, some people say this is the decision that precipitated the Civil War, where the Supreme Court said there's nothing we can do to elevate blacks to the same status as whites. All right. Now, the problem, that, that, that Dred Scott decision, I haven't read it in years, and in fact, it'd probably be 15, 20 years since I've read it. But my recollection, it is a lengthy decision. I think it's 60 pages anyway. It might be more than that. The court bent over backwards to say, look, our hands are tied. We cannot change people or we cannot change persons who are deemed to be chattel things. We can't change them into, into, into the people of the United States of America. I said, as much as we might like to, we have no authority in the Constitution to do this. And they went way out of their way to, to try to deal with this on, a, on an intelligent and articulate level. And we are encouraged to think of Dred Scott as some sort of a monstrous decision. And my reading of it, it wasn't monstrous at all. They said, look, we can't do it under the Constitution unless somebody amends the Constitution. Right? Without that amendment, we can't change these people into... I believe that the 14th Amendment citizenship was designed to provide a form of citizenship for the Negroes that were freed from slavery. They weren't elevated to the same status as white people, but they were given a form of federal citizenship that was satisfactory, although inferior. Now, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but that's my recollection of Dred Scott. Uh, and uh, I agree with you, and there were, there were two senators on a Sunday morning talk show uh, I heard about a year and a half ago. One was Lindsey Graham, and I forget who the other was, but they were saying specifically uh, that 14th Amendment, uh, it was to give uh, status to the free slaves and give them yeah. commercial rights. They had no commercial rights. Uh, to own things and to go to court and that kind of thing. So he described it as, as commercial right. So it was definitely a different status. Well, and, and it's kind of a shame. The thing you know, is, that, though, that it's habit. not just a shame. It's a it's a it's a it's a terror. It's a terrible re reduction of everyone's status. What's happened over time is they created some phony phony baloney status for the newly freed Negroes. Well, I right. say, so, hey, we'll give you citizenship, and you can go to the movies on Saturdays or something like that. Yeah. That's your right as a citizen of the United States, as compared to a citizen of one of the states of the Union. Um, over time, they have managed to bamboozle the rest of us to accept the citizenship, the, the inferior citizenship that's offered by the 14th Amendment. Well, and it's, you know, they, we're taught that that's what it was all about, free the slaves, give the Negroes a yeah, that's citizenship in this. But 90% of the, all the court cases that happened about the 14th Amendment were all by corporations. So, you know, and this is where they decided, oh, a corporation is a person. Yep. And now they have that going for them. And uh, they, there were far more cases of corporate, corporations coming in and going, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, the way this is written, hey, we get to be, we're get, we get to be persons, you know, we get all these. Uh, I'm privileges. having a problem. I don't know what it is. I'm hearing uh, uh, static on, on, on. What's happening there. here? I don't know. I just hear a I'm little not, static. I hear 
I hear a little static, and then it just zips out, and I don't hear I don't hear anything for a while. Um, well, that's, I'm not, not sure. that's not right. Well, well I'm able to hear fair. both of you very clearly. And, All right, uh, well, that's fine. If you can, then I guess the audience can hear what's being said. Um, uh, one of the things I wanted to point out, you mentioned a non-citizen national of the United States. I know a lot of people who fill out the application and, uh, you know, they, they put in some kind of attachment saying I'm a non-citizen national, you know, uh, and basically they'll get a letter back saying, well, from the facts of your birth, uh, you know, we see that, that you are not born in the Swains Island and American Samoa, okay? Yep. So yep. if you look at the definition of a... Of a uh, Non-citizen national, they citizen. specifically say they refer to those two outlying territories. Exactly. So, so, so really what I was going to tell you is, you know, on this passport process, uh, they, they really do consider United States to have uh, different meanings, and it can mean a state citizen or a federal citizen, but, but they consider both to be a citizen of the United States. They just won't tell you that. So, so the, the, if you choose non-citizen national of the United States, thinking that's a state citizen, uh, that would be wrong because that's defined specifically as American Samoa and Swains Island. Well, I've seen the documents. Well, let me I agree that. with you. I agree with you. And I think this business, there are people that argue that they're not a citizen of the United States, but they're arguing that the proper the proper solution is to say you're a citizen of, or excuse me, you're a national of the United States, as if that's a get-out-of-jail-free card. And I don't yeah, think it is. Right. I think both of them. I think I think both of them are essentially two sides of the same coin. Well, if you are of the United States, I don't care if you're a citizen or a national, <laughs> you're going to be subject to their jurisdiction. Well, uh, Might not be true if you can claim to be a national of the United States of America and or one of the states of the Union. Well, and what have they done exactly with state citizenship, seeing as how that's the only citizenship there was before the 14th Amendment? What, what do they do with that? I mean, because I, I've read the 14th Amendment, and it doesn't say, oh, and by the way, we're getting rid of that. They, they didn't say they're getting rid of it. No, that. they didn't. They didn't. But what they did say was this. They said, uh, I'm trying to remember the terms, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the city and of the state wherein they reside. So the point becomes where do you reside? And if you claim to be if you claim to reside within a state of the United States, then they got you. All right, where is your residence? I think if your residence is associated with a zip code, that's that's almost I don't know if it's compelling evidence, but it's certain I believe it's evidence you are in a if, yeah, you're a citizen of one of the states of the United States as opposed to the I think that term state wherein you reside, that term state is ambiguous. And maybe it wasn't when they wrote the 14th Amendment, but it has come to be. They've got states of the United States, and we have states of the United States of America. Two different planes, two well, different venues in a sense, I, although venue is supposed to be a county concept rather than a statewide. But Well, I guess my question is then, is there any provision in any of this passport or immigration stuff that uh, allows for a state citizen? Yeah, I think there is, or at least there was. I knew a guy named yeah, Gary Graham. It's a very good question. It's a very good question that Frank asked, and 
you know, it's something that, that I really uh, was was wondering about. And what you have to what you have to understand is is the courts, Supreme Courts of federal and Supreme Courts of the states of the union. You know, both Supreme Courts, federal and state, have said, uh, you know, there's state citizens and federal citizens all over the law. And yet, when you go to this Immigration Nationality Act, uh, it's too obvious. You know, everybody would say, hey, I'm a state citizen. So they want to make it confusing in order, you know, to not be so obvious. And believe me, I I talk to people. I talked to a man today. We talked for several hours, and he was very knowledgeable. And uh, he had it all wrong, and he's never read it. And he wouldn't listen to me. And uh, he was stuck in, in the process. And they're not wanting, you know, they're saying, hey, we'll issue you one as a 14th Amendment citizen because he, he chose the wrong one. And he's been stuck in it for six months. Now, when you that. say he chose the wrong one, you're talking about citizen of the United States, essentially, as opposed to citizen of the, the United States of America or national of the United States versus national of the United States of America. You're saying he chose of the United States, and he's stuck in it. Is he stuck in it because... He doesn't understand what's happening, and he just hasn't made the correct – he thinks he's doing the right thing, and he doesn't understand he's wrong? Or is he stuck in it because he's presented paperwork to that effect to the government? The government said, yeah, buddy, you said you're in the United States, and so you are. You catch well, he, my drift? He explained, he, explained, he explained his paperwork to me, and I told him, uh, you know, you'll have, you'll have to uh, cancel it. You'll have to tell him you're going to try over. Then he did submit the paperwork, and he made a mistake in that paperwork. And the government yeah, is saying, yeah, you're paperwork. a citizen. Okay, he submitted the paperwork. He did not alter the oath. He took the wrong oath, and he filled out the paperwork okay. wrong on the okay. application. And then I said, well, how did you make the choice of, of which national you were? And he says, well, I chose non-citizen national, you know, a national who is not a citizen of the United States. And, and I said, well, that would be the wrong one, because that one owes permanent allegiance to the United States. And that's Swain Island and American Samoa. I said, did you get a letter asking about American Samoa and Swain Island? He said, yes. He says, in there it says those are for those two islands only. And he goes, I think they're lying to me. And I, I, so I asked him, well, what did you do? And he said, well, I took a sticky note and I wrote, I am a non-citizen national on it and stuck it on the application. And I said, well, uh, that wasn't the option that you had. Uh, you had to do an explanatory statement, so so they probably took that sticky note and threw it in the trash, and they only want to issue you. I'll tell you what, I can't call. hear a thing. I don't know okay. if you can hear. I don't know if you can hear me or not. Yeah, everything hey, uh, everything's going out just fine. I can hear uh, Russell. I can hear you. Really. Well, then it must be on my end, one way or another. I think it's your headset because it's crackling a little. Well, I get okay. that, but so, it's so not moving. Long story short, um, you know, he chose. You know, there's only three choices. There's a national in A21, and then there's a national of the United States in A22A, and then there's A22B, which is that non-citizen national, Swains Island and American Samoa. So he chose 22B and thought, because it said non-citizen, that it was correct. And so they they fooled him. And this is what 80% of the people who do it wrong do. And I said, well, did you ever read the Immigration and Nationality Act? Did you read all the definitions? And he said, no. 
you know. Uh, and I said, well, how did you think you were going to pick the right one and program the right code in if you didn't read the code? <laughs> so this is just a common mistake. So I, I appreciate the fact that, that Alfred is really studying this and going through the legal definitions. This is what it takes. Uh, and it takes, you can't just jump into this stuff. You have to kind of, you have to learn this. It's not just a question of monkey see, monkey do. You have to learn this where it makes sense to you. You may have be called on to defend your to defend your choice, and it's got to be there in your mind in a way where you can say, well, this is what I meant, and this is why I meant it, and you've got to be able to present this stuff in a reasonable way. The description of the guy you're talking about, he kind of went off half-cocked. Right? He, he, he jumped into this quicker than he should. He wanted it done by Friday. And he should have said, well, I'll see if it, I'm going to try to put this together in the next 60 days and study it and kept it and look for these legal niceties and in the process look for the, the traps that are buried there. They've got that Swains Island and what's the other one? Samoa? American Samoa. American Samoa. They've got that written into the law and if you if you touch this in certain ways they're gonna say, Well, that's what you meant and they they really know better than that. They know you didn't mean it. But they're going to throw it at you, and if you don't see it coming, and you haven't expressly said, eh, I'm going to guess that maybe when you file, file your application, you're going to say something to do with being a national of the United States of America or a national of the state of Texas, and expressly declare, I am not a national of Swains Island or uh, American Samoa. Never been there, wasn't born there, have no relatives from there. You're going to have to distance yourself from that in order to cut the, that that misunderstanding out from under them. So they can't say, oh, we think you're, you say you're from Swain's Island. Say, no, I'm not. You're going to have to defeat that, that presumption. And I think that they use that. that. The reference to Swain's Island, American Samoa, it gives them an opportunity to defeat the applications from people who haven't quite put the pieces together. The way I describe it, it's a minefield, and that's one of the mines that people step on. Yeah. Okay, so what is the major advantage of doing a passport this way? Now, I, I presume that people get passports because they want to leave, you know, they want to leave the country uh, for whatever reason. Uh, what's the What's the advantage of having this kind of passport done this way versus just a regular old fill out the application, you know, pay the fee and get the passport? I love, I love that you asked that question, Frank. That's a very important question. And you remember on the last call, I, I mentioned two court cases, uh, Erdotecki versus Darcy, 1835, and Haig versus Agee, 1981. The passport has dual functionality. The first functionality is a mere ex parte certificate when you travel to a foreign country, and it's used to show that you have uh, a nationality and uh, this is who they contact if you have any issues. You know? But it says the passport uh, has a second functionality, and this is, this is from two Supreme Court judges, including Reinquist back in 81, and he said that the second functionality is the evidence that you use to get the passport, if of a nature that, that you know, can be used in a court of law, is the highest and best evidence that can be used in a court uh, to show your citizenship and nationality. So it can't be argued with. When you get this, 
You know, so it doesn't matter if you never want to travel. You know, just yeah. the fact that you have it uh, protects your rights uh, on any court proceeding or if any agency approaches you and you want to show proof that you're not in that jurisdiction. Uh, you know, this is the highest and best evidence. There is no higher and better evidence. This is the highest and best evidence. So it should and be taken very, very seriously. It's the sort of thing that perhaps excuses you from a need for, say, a driver's license. It may excuse you from the need to pay income tax. I don't doubt a citizen of the United States, a national of the United States, I'll bet they both, it's mandatory to pay income tax. I would, I suspect that if you were a national of the United States of America, I think you've got a good basis to argue that you're exempt from paying income tax. Do you agree with that, Russell, or do you think that's too far off? Um, I, I know that uh, one of the guys that uh, I worked with on the passport, uh, he was in court uh, when Ed and Elaine Brown were in court, and they they actually brought her passport application and her driver license application and uh, put it up on the big board in front of the jury, you know, put it on a screen up there, and, you know, they, they, they said, so you have us believe that you are a citizen of the United States for your passport and your driver's license, but when it comes to paying your federal taxes, you're not a U.S. citizen. So which mm-hmm. one is it? Yeah. You know, and so, so they, they just grilled them on that, and, uh, you know, it didn't turn out too well. No, I understand that, and the fact that they even go through this is evidence that, sh- that they, they did it wrong, but they, they could have done it right. Exactly. The way you're describing and, and this, the they didn't I just know, come out and say, you're crazy, the man lady. The from was in the courtroom, and he knew them personally and said uh, they, they, they really didn't have the knowledge of the passport and yeah, what the I driver understand. license is. So. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I, think this is, I think that passport, if it can be, if you can get them to recognize you from right, the way it looks to me right now as a national of the United States of America, because I have pledged allegiance to that. If I can make that argument that stands up, maybe it will, maybe it won't, but if I can make that argument that stands up, that is, in many regards, something close to a get-out-of-jail-free card. If you can produce that evidence, um, in theory, you can hold the police at bay when they want to stop you for not using a driver's license. Now maybe I don't mean I don't mean that you're guaranteed you're never going to do you're never they're never going to throw you in the slammer. No, that's just till they shoot you. Yeah, well, until they shoot you. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's the way it is. Yeah, but. in section A36, it says the term capital S state includes uh, Alaska, Hawaii, and Alaska and Hawaii were not states of the union when this was written. So, uh, so capital S state includes Alaska, Hawaii, the District of Columbia. Puerto Rico, Guam, and the Virgin Islands of the United States. So when Alaska and Hawaii... You know, one thing about uh, this capital S, uh, this capital S and lowercase s and the rest of it, I don't think that whether it's capitalized or it's not capitalized, that's interesting, but I don't think it's critical. There was a time when I thought it was, but Gary Graham, again, he pointed out, he said, when they wrote the Constitution, they used capital letters... As a form of emphasis, for example, I'm looking at Article 1, Section 2, Clause 2, no particular reason, but it says no person, and the word person is capitalized, shall be a representative who shall not have attained the age, age is capitalized, of 20 
five years. Years is capitalized and have been seven years capitalized. A citizen, and the citizen is capitalized of the United States. The United States is, is capitalized. It's not just its proper noun. And shall who and, sh- and who shall not when elected the an inhabitant. Inhabitant is capitalized. And, and it goes on. And the point I'm getting to, and Gary Graham was the one who pointed this out to me, it's, uh, it's just a form of emphasis. They capitalized a lot of words. And it was, it was the equivalent of us maybe using bold or italics or underline in, in our modern grammar and format to emphasize. But it doesn't, it doesn't create a legal significance that is beyond just this emphasis. It was so they were just, just something they, they were did just, back then. They were just and, yelling? Yeah, in a sense, yeah, that would be kind of what it is. They were, they were just yelling. And, and I think the more critical point, if I say State of the Union, whether I say capital S State or lowercase s State may not be critical, but of the union, and I specify what that union is, styled the United States of America, now I think I've got a pretty strong argument. I am inclined to use the capital S state of the union, all right, styled the United States of America. Um, I think you might be able to get by with the lowercase s state, provided you make, make clear of the union and give the name of the union and uh, maybe even tell when the union was created and so on, made perpetual. Name the date that the uh, Articles of Confederation were established. Or... Hey, Russell, I've got a kind of a technical little question here. Is, uh, it, let's assume you do, you know what you're doing and you do this all right and, and you know what you're doing. How long does it take from the first day you, you know, set in your paperwork? And again, we're going to presume that you did everything right. How long does it take? Before you get um, I, I have some friends who, who applied recently, and on average, you're looking at five to six weeks right now doing all the paperwork correct. Now, uh, one of the guys got a letter, and this happens maybe 40% of the time. He got a letter, and this is, this is a, a computer-generated chain letter, and it's, it's a rebuttal letter just to test you out to make sure that you know what you're doing and not just going to cave in. But, you know, it's kind of a rebuttal letter. Saying from the fact of your birth, uh, we have ascertained that you're, you are eligible for a passport uh, uh, as a as a 14th Amendment citizen of the United States. And, oh yeah, it'll quote all yeah. persons born in the United States and quote that. And, and in order to rebut that and get the right passport, you've got to rebut that again and say the same thing over, and then you'll get the passport. You know, usually within about three weeks after you rebut that, and you'll, you'll get issued. And what do you mean by, and what are you, when they send that you're entitled as a citizen of the United States, you say you need to rebut that. Are you simply saying, oh, but I'm not a citizen of the United States. I am a national of the United States of America, a non-citizen national of the United States of America. Is that something you would say? Well, you know, you know you're, you're basically uh, saying the same thing you did in your first explanatory statement. Yeah. You're sticking to yeah. your gun. And you're repeating yourself, and you're saying, you know, uh, this is this is uh, uh, what I have uh, sworn to under penalty of perjury. You know that 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 I was born in Texas, and that I'm a Texan. Are you asking where have me we born perjury? What about this? 
I'm still wondering, where do they, what on, based on what do they claim that we have pledged or sworn permanent allegiance to the United States? Now, I'm of the opinion that we had to do something. We had to take a, an express act. Could it be that it has something to do with just the oath on, say, a 1040? Um, in my opinion, I, I know what they do. I've seen it myself, and everybody will have this on their application on the bottom. Uh, they go out and do a LexisNexis search. And uh, I don't know if you've had court papers or you did this or that. You know, whatever LexisNexis accumulates, uh, yep. you, know, you know, they'll go out and they'll find Social Security numbers, contracts, uh, judgments, and they'll look in there and uh, – you know, it is, this is my opinion. I, I know it's there. It says LexisNexis search. You know, they write that in, and they start filling in information that you didn't even put on your application or your explanatory statement. So they are going out and seeing what you've done. And, you know, it doesn't mean you can't overcome this. You know, yep. it's, it's a rebuttable presumption. So you yep. can rebut, and this is how you rebut. People talk about, you know, you have to rebut these things. Well, this is how you rebut it once and for all. And when you get through it, you don't have to rebut anymore. So, so uh, the, the, you know, it, it's a critical process that, that you're going through here, Albert, and you're doing the right thing. You're studying. You're asking all the right questions. You found out about the, the permanent allegiance, which is very, very critical. So you're doing all the right things. I don't doubt this can be reasoned through. One of the things about it is this. I think they run this whole system this phony baloney system, this de facto government, I think it runs on the fundamental presumption that you have consented to enter into its jurisdiction. This is a voluntary act to go into the United States, to leave the state of Texas, for example, and enter into the United States or the territory of Texas or the administrative district of Texas. I've got a couple of things that might be, I don't know what it absolutely is. But still, I think they depend on you volunteering in. And if that's the case, and I think it has to be, then it must be possible for you to volunteer out. It must be. They have to give you a door out or else there was never, it was never voluntary. They have to leave yeah. you that way to walk out the door. And even if it's complex and, 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 in, and a, an almost incredible maze, Still, there is an escape hatch. Otherwise, you didn't volunteer in. If they won't let you out, then you didn't volunteer in. If you catch my drift, does that make any sense to you, Russell? Uh, I think I think that that is a very very good analysis, and I totally concur with that. Right, and it, it, it's kind of a shame because I hear that more and more people are expatriating, yeah. and uh, maybe they're in Europe and they come back and expatriate. And what they don't realize is they don't have to expatriate. If they yeah. would have just done this passport process, they could keep yeah. that national or state citizen status and not mm-hmm. need to. But they, they feel that, you know, they don't know there's more than one option. And so they're, oh. they're, they're turning in their passport and their identity and leaving their true State of the Union citizenship behind. And, and they, you know, they really don't need to. And in a sense... What we're talking about here is that by virtue of this process, it's possible to expatriate from the United States 
and repatriate into the United States of America. Is that roughly correct, or would that be a bad a bad metaphor? Um, I, I really don't think that that is a good way to put it, because if you go read the website you were reading and you fish around, uh, there's a definition for stateless there. And stateless is not a good thing. You don't want to be stateless. So when you expatriate, uh, you know, I've never heard it described as expatriating from the District of Columbia. I know. And uh, neither have I. Neither have I, but I'm curious if you think that's, uh, you know, kind of a apt description well, or know, it's bogus. It's, it's, it's and you seem as, to think it's, it's bogus. It's doing the passport correctly, and uh, you don't need to expatriate. You just, you just choose the correct status. And when you yeah. get the passport and you get the evidence certified from the State Department, then you're golden there. You don't have to expatriate from anywhere. Well, I, I understand. It's uh, To me, I, I'm not necessarily saying you are expatriating. It's more like a, uh, I don't know, helps people to understand. I'm leaving the United States. I'm going into the United States of America, and I'm giving notice. I'm not, I won't even say that I'm leaving the United States. I'm going to argue that I never left the United States of America. That's where I am. Who's going to yeah. stand up and swear? I'm prepared to swear to that. Now, who's going to stand up and swear that I'm wrong? I, 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 and I don't I'm not arguing that just being prepared to swear that I've been in the United States of America all along, that's maybe not enough. There's more involved. Um, do you have a driver's license? Did you take out a passport where you said you were in the United States? There's a bunch of things you could have done that would create this this dangerous and false presumption that you're in the United States. They all have to be rebutted, perhaps. But uh, still, my fundamental argument is I think I started out within the United States of America, and certainly it's my intention to be there. But... It's still confusing. Well, I mean, the, yeah, you know, and, and Frank brought up a good point when he asked about state citizenship and where did it go. The point I was going to make uh, when we started talking about other topics is in different silos of law, it's called different things. So in the passport yeah. law, it's called a national period. Uh, and uh, in, in the federal courts, they call it state and federal citizenship. And then there's a thing called the U.S. person. A U.S. person yep. is defined in law as a small c citizen of the United States and a resident. So that is not a state citizen or a national. So, yep. so a state citizen or a national, I found in the Patriot Act and in the customer, uh, uh, you know, program where you sign up for a bank account at a bank, they actually call that a non-U.S. person when you're a state citizen or, an, or you know, when you're not a citizen of the United States and a resident, you're a non-U.S. person. And then, then it's also called a non-resident alien, you know, in the tax code. So, you know, there's different names for it depending on what silo of law you're looking at. Let me, uh, hey, Frank. Yes. I'm going to hang up. Why don't you call me right back? Okay. And I, I keep, I'm missing, I'm missing a portion of the program with this thing okay. going in and out and see if I can get a better connection. Okay. All right, I'm hanging up now. All right. Okay, well, I'm going to connect Al back here. And I, I do have a question, though, Russell, but I'll wait until uh, Al gets back. And the question, okay. the question is, I'll ask it, and maybe you can wait until Al gets back, that uh, you mentioned that it's it, being stateless 
is is not a good thing. If you could explain, you know, when Al gets back, why, uh, I'd be interested to hear. Hello? Okay. Go ahead, Al. Okay, I, I still catch a little bit of static, but not what, so far not the way I had in the past. I had just um, asked Russell, um, you know, uh, he had mentioned that being stateless was a bad thing, and I asked him to explain that. Why? Why is it a bad thing? Well, it's kind of, uh, you know, if you read the Law of Nations, which is where a lot of our, uh, you know, law came from, it's the concept of the Law of Nations. And, you know, you can look at other nations in the world, and you can look at even the United Nations, and when they all talk about stateless, you know, that, that's, a, that's a term that, that other nations and our nation and the U.N. talk about. And, uh, you know, a stateless person, you know, if, if, you, if you claim no nationality or citizenship, or you denounce it, or, or that kind of thing. It's like you know they're talking about you know your your rights. Uh, they 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 get diverted to the lowest man on the totem pole. Okay, so you have to follow the laws of a resident, which is all, always means a foreigner within your country that doesn't have uh, the rights that that are elevated to a citizen or a national, which means someone who is native or born on the soil there. And so stateless, if you you know, there's a lot of people I know. Who I've met, he say, "Well, I denounced everything. I gave everything back, and I said I don't want to be a citizen of anything." So, you know, if, if that's the claim you make, then the way you're treated when you interact with that society that that you've just been outcast from, you know, they they treat you as if you're the low man on the totem pole, being a resident. Russell, I've got a really, I've got an interesting point, a disturbingly interesting point here, because when you when anybody goes down to get a driver license. One of the qualifications is you've got to be a resident, and they use that language, resident. So um, everybody who has a driver's license who doesn't rebut it or anything is basically stateless. I don't know uh, that that's no. true, but it's, it's, you're a foreigner. All right, yeah, you are I mean, not. That's, that's state, the implication state, of being state, a resident. You are a foreigner, and I think that's a great insight. I've never heard that before, Russell, and I think it makes absolute sense when I think about it. So you're so foreign to this jurisdiction. That, that They're giving you. You have conceded that you are foreign to Texas or Oregon or these, maybe even these state of Texas. I don't know, but if you concede you're a foreigner, okay, we're going to license the foreigners, but the actual people, the the nationals, I don't think we're going to license them. At Correct. least not the nationals of the States of the Union. Right. In fact, if you look at the Texas driver license today, you can download it today, on, on the place where you sign it, it says, uh, you know, you're swearing in, under penalty of perjury um, that, that you are the person described on this document, and, and you have to show proof of your residency and that you're a federal citizen. And, uh, and, and you know, so you're making that, 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 that oath. You know, you're swearing under penalty of perjury, that you are the person who is the resident there. And, uh, and it says your presence in the United States is under federal law. And the United States means District of Columbia is under federal law. So you, you've just agreed you're there on a privilege and, you know, they have 100% plenary power over you, mm -hmm. which is kind of what, and you know what, it's following. And why do they have that, why do they have that power over you? Because um, you've just consented to it by taking plenary, the license. Power. Yeah, the Congress has 100% plenary power over its jurisdiction in the District of Columbia and its territories and possessions. Exactly. But 
in, in the 50 states of the union, it has very limited power. you've just consented to it by means of taking the driver's license. That yeah, power that they claim to have is a function of your consent. That's the point I'm trying to get across here. At least that's the point. That's what it. That's the way right. it appears to me. So yeah, if you, you don't consented. consent, now what? And, and you consented because that license is for the District of Columbia and the territories and possessions, not the I agree. of the union. I agree with you. I don't think uh, they say it's a Texas driver's license, but it's Texas in the sense of a territory, an administrative district, a state of the United States, all under Congress. Um, and part of the evidence for that is the similarity between the the driver's license laws for Texas, for example, as compared to the federal. Um, there's enough reference there. What do we care what the feds have to say about driver's licenses if we're in a state of the union? I think the similarity there is is an implied evidence that, yeah, you're... You're subject to federal jurisdiction when you take that driver's license. You're no longer in a state of the union. I don't think you need a driver's license within a state of the union. Uh, I've called the uh, Texas DPS uh, when I got my passport and asked questions and wrote letters. And uh, when I asked them, you know, well, I've got a passport and I'm not a, a resident and I'm not a citizen of the, of the United States. And he goes, so you're, you're a non-resident alien? You know, he goes, what, are you telling me you're from Mexico uh, or someplace like that? You're an illegal alien? And I said, of course not, you know. And so I tried to explain it to him, and he said, well, look, you know, there is no driver license for that. You know, you have to be a, a U.S. citizen. And, uh, you know, he pretty much has to be a U.S. Again. citizen to get the driver's license. I don't know that that's exactly true. Do you... What about the illegal aliens? Not in Oregon, it isn't. They're giving out driver licenses to illegals here all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you know, because because they're they're coming in under the resident. You know, they're allowing a certain type of resident. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. All right. Yeah. They're resident. And, and resident means foreigner. Mean, you know, you know, stateless doesn't mean the same thing as resident. I'm just saying, stateless is like a void. You know, you're not a national or a citizen or anything, but they have to treat you. Uh, you know, they can't just abuse you, okay? So, so you know, so the lowest thing is, is like uh, a resident. So they, they give you that, which doesn't rise to the level of a capital C citizen of a state of the union uh, or a national. Which uh, It's it not even seems... as good, in my opinion, as maybe a 14th Amendment citizen because they're, they're not getting the privileges of the 14th Amendment well, citizenship. And the way, things you know, are, the way things are going, it sure seems as though the government is treating the vast majority of people just in that manner as residents as the lowest you know of the you know on the on the rung there well and to kind of go along with what you just with what you just said i heard this earlier this year and uh, I, I read it and i think i even heard it on the news i just can't remember which one i can probably try to pick it up but it said the media was giving was given kind of marching orders or the media was advised when you're talking about you know, uh, you know, you know, people. I don't know if it said people, but what, what, what the point was is refer to them as residents, not as citizens anymore. Don't call them citizens. Call them residents. Call everybody residents. And when I heard that, uh, I go, "Wow, okay." Uh, because when I was growing up, uh, they called them people and uh, and citizens and Americans, and now 
you know, when I read, uh, you know, the national and local media, everybody's a resident. I, well, I don't see the term citizen. And it is how they're treating everybody. I mean, when a cop can just flip on the lights, uh, drag you out of the car, beat you up, shoot you a few times, and uh, walk off scot-free, uh, you're not being treated very well. You know. Well, but uh, you know, part of this business with identification, I have wondered for some time, and I've talked about it with Frank on this program in the past, uh, and they ask you to provide, to you, let me see some identification. What does identification mean? Does identification, does that indicate that you are five foot ten, you weigh 180 pounds, and you were born on a certain date? Does it identify you? Or does the identification, is it the means where you identify whichever state or system, which one do you identify with? Do you identify with the de facto, or do you identify with the de jure? Do you understand what I'm saying there, Russell? Who do you belong to? Um, yeah. That, that is a very, very good question. Uh, I like the way you couched it, because uh, I've thought about that, too, because I'm in that spot every day. I live that question every day. And so I have to be prepared every day that I go out and interact in the world. And uh, in my opinion, uh, you know, it is a jurisdictional thing. It has a lot to do with the political choice and the political law. That, that Which you jurisdiction do you identify with? Which jurisdiction do you consent to? If you're going to take that driver's license for identification and hand it to the police officer to look or look at it, in a sense, you said you just consent to have your head split open. Yeah, if you want to thump me on the head, go ahead. I consent to your jurisdiction. Yeah, it's being called subject to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's another point about the 14th Amendment, and it says, the first sentence says, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. When they talk about United States and they talk about the jurisdiction thereof, they're saying that the is singular, the jurisdiction, the singular jurisdiction thereof. That implies that the term United States as used in the 14th Amendment is not the several United States. If it was, they would have said all persons born in the several United States and subject to the their their jurisdiction to their jurisdictions, jurisdictions plural, rather than jurisdictions singular, and rather than the singular jurisdiction. Um, we were talking earlier in the program about how many different definitions we have right now for United States. And I'm wondering what there are apparently multiple definitions for United States, even as far back as the 1860s. And part of the evidence of that is the 13th Amendment. Um, let me see if I can just find it. The 14th Amendment that we we're just talking about refers to the jurisdiction, the singular jurisdiction of of the of the singular United States. The 13th Amendment says neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for the crime whereof the, the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. 13th Amendment 
which was ratified in 1868, was clearly referring to the several United States. They're talking about their jurisdiction. They didn't say their jurisdictions, but they did use their. 14th Amendment, they talk about the jurisdiction, which implies a singular United States rather than several. So, I don't know. You know, it, it's, it's an extraordinary word game, only it's not a game. You can wind oh, up serious. imprisoned, you can wind up impoverished, you can wind up dead, depending on how you play this alleged game. And that being the case, this is not a game. This is serious, serious business, and it's incumbent on all of us to try to understand this and deal with it as best we can. And, I think uh, it's like, the, it's like being a Jew in, in Nazi Germany and wondering if and being asked, do you have your papers? Can we see your papers? Are your papers in order? <laughs> I wonder if your, papers, if your papers really tell the world that you identify with the United States of America. You are a national of the United States of America. It may be that they can't march you off to the little concentration camps, and I'm speaking, you know, just a metaphor, uh, like the Jews. Uh, they, their papers probably condemned them. I'll bet you that if you read wh whatever papers they issued to the Jews back in the day, it subjected them to a level of jurisdiction that allowed them to be legally hauled off to concentration camps and perhaps exterminated. Does that make any sense to anyone, or do you disagree? Um, Go ahead, Russell. I really haven't. I really haven't thought about that. I mean, yeah, I, I understand. I understand. I mean, I'm so happy with this status because I really consider it uh, self-governing under God, yeah. and uh, I don't need help from the government. I don't want yeah. any handout. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the government cheese is on the other side over there, and yeah. you know, people went over there for the cheese. And you know what they use you know, cheese think, for, don't you? <laughs> To catch mice, to, to bait a <laughs> trap. Here, little mouse, I've got some cheese for you. Snap. I mean, if you're going for the cheese, folks, um, you are being treated like a rat, like a mouse. And it's more likely a trap, a bait, than a benefit. But one of the things about this, if you, if you were to apply for a passport the way we're talking about, I'm going to speculate that you're no longer eligible for Social Security, for example. Is that true, Russell? Um, you know, I have my opinions based on what I've read in law and common sense. Uh, Al, if you worked for IBM for 20 years and then you retired from IBM and you don't, you don't work for IBM and you retired, would you be able to collect your, your pension that, that you paid in uh, from IBM even though you don't work there anymore? Well, I know that you should. I, uh, from a moral perspective, I would say you should be able to. But if I had to guess how this system is structured, I'd, my, my, you know, my intuition, instinct, my first guess would be probably not. Well, uh, I found in law, uh, you know, in the uh, uh, Title 26 and in the CFR where they talk about, uh, uh, you know, the Social Security, and it says in there that, uh, 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 you know, a Social Security number is generally thought 
to b- belong to a small C citizen of the United States and a resident. Uh, but it says, you know, it says only generally. So it says if, the, if your status should change, you need to contact us and submit the appropriate form to change your status. Okay, so I, I, I've done research on the nubinate status of the Social Security. And uh, when, you, when, you, when people first filled it out, they chose a box called Citizen of the United States without any definitions. And there was a box called Other. Okay. Uh-huh. I know a man. I know a man who got a copy of his SS five uh, out from the Social Security Administration that he had done, like when he was a kid. He got a certified copy out from them. He did a new one, and he checked the box other and defined it as a national, um, as per the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1952, Section 101A21, and then. Uh, you know, there's one other change toward the bottom that he made, and everything else he left alone, and he signed it, and he included his passport evidence, and he went down there and talked to him and submitted everything. And, uh, you know, he, from, from what I hear, uh, his status was changed from a federal citizen to a state citizen, which is from a national of the United States to a national. So that, that got changed. All right. Um, so, so how did it affect that I know him? Who did that? Uh, I know a lot of guys who. Like I say, I think studying. this is a voluntary deal, and if you can, if they, if they depend on, they depend on the presumption that you volunteered into this. There has to be a door out. There had to be a choice. You could either be a citizen of the United States, or you could be at least one other thing, and maybe several other things. But if it's voluntary to get in, there has to be an option. You could choose A, behind door A, behind door B. Which one do you want? Your choice. So, Yeah, so the Social Security number, I believe the Nubinet status can change. And I've seen, I went to the Social Security website and downloaded one of their documents on Nubinet status. And I saw, you know, uh, uh, them talking about it. And you have to submit your passport. You know, if you want to get that changed, you know, they require a passport evidence and stuff. So, you know, that's exactly up my alley. So um, I've already uh, sent mine and back you think- and uh, rescinded it and gave it back. So I'm not going to be collecting anything, but I would like them to update the number status, but I still don't want any benefits from them because I called constructive fraud on it. Okay. I'm not sure what you mean by you called you called. Well, I got out of it. I gave it back, called constructive fraud, and uh, gave him an affidavit, uh, rescission. So I, you know, I, I said I'm not associating with this fraud. So. Okay, but you the point behind one point behind this is if we go down this path, you are of the opinion that we won't be able to collect Social Security even though we paid into it. Uh, that, that wasn't what I said. What, what I gave no, you was I know, an example of a man who got his status changed. And he intends to collect because he put, you know, a lot of time and money in that thing. So he got the status changed, and when he collects it, he's not collecting it as a federal citizen. He's collecting it as a state citizen. And, but it doesn't mean he's a federal citizen anymore. It, it means, you know, he doesn't work for IBM anymore. He worked there 30 years, and he earned those benefits. I have a letter, a response letter from the Social Security Administration, a one-page letter, and it says Congress did not give us the ability to delete – uh, that account, and we do not have the ability to not pay it if you want it. So it's there for you. So, 
you know, in my opinion, and I, this is just my opinion, is do what this man did, get that number, the Nubidant status changed uh, in the ESP field to the correct status, and then when you go to collect it, you're collecting as a state citizen and not a federal citizen. I understand what you're saying, but I, I'm also going to guess that first order of business is to get your passport straightened out. Correct. All right, before you start arguing with Social Security about whether you can or you can't, you're going to have to get that passport straightened out. And then, given that evidence, now we can go down and talk to Social Security and perhaps do a very precise stance and say, well, I'm collecting in the capacity of a or status of a, a state's, uh, state national rather than a U.S. national. Now, did you? you I think uh, in you my used opinion, U.S. citizen. In my opinion, that would be the way that I would do it. Mm-hmm. But do you know and, of anyone uh, who's... on their document? And it says if you want to change the numinate status, it mentions bring in your passport evidence. You know, they, they want to see that. So they're going to check up on that. So if you don't have that passport status corrected, you probably won't have a lot of success with that. I understand that. Yeah. I understand. I would bet, insofar as they even reference this, that you've got to bring your passport in. I would bet that Social Security understands that this is a powerful argument, and I would bet that only a very small handful of people would actually bring their passport down to talk to Social Security. I'd bet that the guy sitting behind the desk, he already knows if they show the passport, just give them what they want and get them out of here. Now, I don't know if that's exactly true. That may be an exaggeration, but I'll... it just seems odd that they would ask about your passport status. How many people even have passports in this country? From what I hear, 15% of the general population have passports. Okay. And I, w- I would think 98% of those are in the wrong status. I would agree. I'd say it's probably 99.9. But regardless, only if only 15% of the people have passports, then only 15% of the people can get their, even have a chance of having their status changed with Social Security. If status, the point here, 85% of the people can't change their status with Social Security because they don't even have a passport. They can't even get a foot in the door. 85%. If changing status was... The, the key part of that law that I described to you where it says the Social Security number is generally thought to be that of the citizen of the United States and a resident, and it says if that status should change. So if that status changes to a national, okay. then okay. submit your passport evidence, and we'll change the status. Okay. All right. Is the way I read it. Okay, but I'm what I'm what I'm I'm saying I'm trying I'm groping with the idea that if 85 percent of the people can't don't have passports. And the passport is essential to changing the status. It's the evidence of it. They're not making it easy to change your status. Correct. And the only way you're going to do it is if you happen, and even if you come down, bring your passport. All right, 15% have passports. 14.99% of the 15%, if they walk in the door with their passport, they're still going to do it wrong. In my opinion... In my opinion, you're right. Uh, I think you would have to have the correct status on the passport to do that. Yeah. And, and I, I've heard that. Uh, I listened to a lot of calls, and I've listened to one where I heard two people as witnesses on this call say, we tried that. We went to the office locally, and uh, 
brought in our birth certificates and our driver's license, and we claimed, you know, uh, we wanted to change the stat, nubinant status, and they said, no, you, you can't do that. Where's your passport? You know, and yeah. so they were rejected. So uh, people have tried, and, and these people are being rejected. I don't know anybody who's had success except the one man who has a state citizen passport, passport mm-hmm. evidence, you know, as a state citizen. You know, I mentioned this guy, Gary Graham, earlier in the program. Gary was a good guy. He died back 10 years ago at least right now, maybe 15, I don't recall. Still amazes me. The guy was laughing and joking, funny man, very intelligent, photographic memory, a bunch of things. He pointed out to me back in the 90s, and I did not understand this at the time, but he pointed out to me that they were issuing two different passports. One had a green cover and one had a blue cover. And I don't remember which was which, but the difference was when you filled out the application form, at least at that time, if you said you were a citizen of the United States, you got one colored cover on your passport. If you said you were a citizen of a state like Texas or the state of Texas, they gave you the other colored passport. Do you know if they are still issuing two different colors of passport covers? Okay, I've heard that same comment. Uh, the green passport was for the state citizen, and, mm-hmm. uh, and and that was a while back. And so, what the state department said, uh, you know, they came out and said, you know, there just isn't enough demand. So we're going to make one homogeneous blue passport because the demand isn't there. Because then you have Plains Island and American Samoa nationals who might want a different color. So you know, they just kind of blended it all into blue. So if, if there is any different colors right now, uh, I don't know anybody who has one, but I, I heard in the past people had a green for state citizenship. I, just I believe I had, I, I'd have to go into back in my, my piling system, but I believe I have both a green cover and a blue cover on two expired passports out of the past. One is green, if I recall. I'm sure I have a green one. I think I have a blue one also. And well, I know if you find that, I, let me know. If you can dig that up, let me know. Well, I'll look it up and I'll, I'll pull it out, and uh, you'll have to send me an email because I don't remember what your email is and the rest of that sort of thing. Um, okay. Uh, that but, would be interesting. That would be very interesting. Well, it would be something. Yeah, it's something. Uh, it was consistent, but it wasn't, so far as I know, I never made an application in the past where I said I was a citizen of a state rather than. A citizen of the United States. So I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly. What did I do to make a difference? Okay, so remember. if you have an existing passport now, or you had one in the past, yeah. uh, it's pretty critical to write on the application on page two. It'll have it'll ask you, have you had a passport? What is the number? And was it a book or a card? You know, put the numbers for each. And if you have one and you want to return it and get everything corrected. You know, uh, you know, it asked you, for, you know, what name was it under? So put the name it was under, you know, John Henry Doe, whatever, and then put returned with errors on it in parentheses. So you're, you're clarifying, you're returning it with errors. And then on the explanatory statement, it's always good to say, I have new facts and evidence, and uh, I'm returning the old one with errors. And, uh, you know, based on the new evidence, here, here is my status. So well, I've known passports. people. I've known people. I've known people who did not do that. And what they did is they just took their existing passport, whether it expired ten years ago or whether 
you know, they're returning it. You know, you know they, they just took that existing passport and renewed it and treated that as a renewal, and they wouldn't give them the evidence. So uh, there's all kind of things you have to be aware of, uh, traps or mines, when you get in this process. So yeah, I, I don't doubt that. Um, you know, it's, it, it really is. It's Dungeons and Dragons kind of thing. You have to work, walk very precisely so you don't set off these mines, and it's designed to prevent you from making a real escape. Right? And it's designed where the average man, how many people have you assisted in this? Okay, but let, let me just... Well, I, th- I lost my point. Uh, something to do with what percentage of these people are actually, the people you've dealt with are competent to deal with this issue on their own. I all, mean, we're talking them, about... All, fair- all, of them were, all of them were more competent than anybody that I know personally. They're all, they all study. They're all well-versed in law. They just can't figure it out. You know, they don't know how to do the procedures. Okay, you know, that's where I'm going on this. I mean, this is not... This is a very, very difficult situation, very difficult objective to achieve. And I got, yeah. a, uh, I got a caller who didn't want to get on the air. They just wanted me to ask Russell a question, which is pretty simple, and that is, where can anybody find all this information online or contact you, or do you have a website? What's your contact information? How do people get a hold of this information? Um, you know, if you got uh, an email or something, I-, I could probably forward you over an email, and you know, you could probably do something like that. But you know, I don't even advertise. I just, uh, you know, I have a ministry, and uh, you know, I do it uh, because it's important to me, and uh, it's part of my ministry. I help people live in the world without being of the world. You know, that's kind of where I'm at, and uh, I just uh, keep it private. Okay. Well, I know that you are. You keep a low profile on this. I'm even surprised that you've talked to us as long as you have, um, and I'm glad you did. Um, but I know you keep a low profile on this. You're not not out advertising. Well, I, I do it out that. of respect for you, uh, primarily, and out of respect for Frank as well. I mean, you guys have done so much uh, to help people in your lifespan, Alfred, that uh, I consider it a privilege, you know? Well, uh I look forward to talking to you again, Russell. We'll, you know, uh, either by email or on this program. But what we're seeing here is we started this program. I was speculating, speculating about something that I discovered that I thought was valid. And here Russell's calling in and he's saying, yeah, you're right. All right. At least to that extent. That doesn't mean I've got anything like perfect knowledge. But this is a validation that these kinds of ideas are not just the result of some wacko who's, you know, who's had his tinfoil hat on too tight for too long. There's something happening here, and we are on the trail of this, trying to unwind this. And one of the questions I have for you, Russell, we've got only about five minutes left in the program. You mentioned you're running a ministry, all right? And I don't know that that means that you're in, a, in an official church. Uh, I don't know if you have conduct services, and I'm not asking about that. But do you use any biblical principles or law? Are they referenced within the context of your application for the passport? 
Um, it really isn't necessary. Uh, as I said before, uh, it's like a programming a computer. You program in the right codes, uh-huh. and uh, you make the claim, and you swear under penalty of perjury, and they honor it because you know they they know you were born in Illinois. Uh, yeah. You know they you know they, they they know all about this. You're just making the claim, and if you push the right buttons in the code, uh, you know it's it's issued to you, and you're the bearer of it. But you know you don't you don't need to make any biblical claims. In my opinion, uh, you know it's not necessary. Uh, you know it's uh, they're honoring their commitment to the states of the union uh, by issuing it. It's just well, tough uh-huh. to get. You know they they really don't want people to have you know, general knowledge of well, this. Hey Russell, on on this uh, explanatory statement that you make when you do your passport, how much leeway do you have on that? I mean how. How how deep can you go? I mean, keep it to half a page, five pages, what? I mean, how how far can you go with your, or would you suggest uh, it's all to go? Up, it's all up to how how you want to explain it. But I think brief, clear and concise, and brief is better. I, I I would never have, you know, probably you know I think two or three pages is more than enough. I, I would never do ten or twelve because when you get the evidence back, you want to get a copy of what you did, plus they attach three pages to the front. So, you know, 15 pages is a lot. You know, you definitely don't want 40. I know one guy who had 83 pages. Mm-hmm. And so I said, how are you ever going to get the evidence back? And how would you use that when it's that long? And nobody's ever going to read that. Kind of like a court document. When you exactly. get, when, when the passport is issued to you, you have, when you apply for the passport, you have a document that explains why you should be recognized as a national of the United States of America. I'm going to say that in broad strokes. That's the way I look at it. Maybe you don't agree with the term, but still you're explaining. Here's my argument. Here's my evidence. And they say, okay, we're going, we're going with you. Now, when they send it back, you have to specifically apply in order to get the a copy, a certified copy of the your argument the, the, that you attached to your to your application. Do you keep right. that yeah, there, there, close by your There's a custodian of records. There's a custodian of records, and she signs it as well as the Secretary of State, and she signs it that it's in her custody, and she's protecting it, and she assigned a number to it that she certifies. So it's totally it qualifies under the federal rules of civil procedure, uh, you know, criminal procedure, and the federal rules of evidence. So you know, it's serious. It's under chain of custody. I understand. But when so, you get the copy back, do you keep it with your, do you keep that copy with your passport? So even if the police officer stops you, he doesn't just read the passport, because I doubt if it's clear on the passport how you're identified. I mean, right. when, uh, what I mean I, by know, that. When I got my original, I made eight copies. And I keep a copy in the car, a copy in the safe. You know, I, I have a copy with my relatives. And so uh, the State Department caseworker even told me, if you don't have it and, and you're in court for whatever reason, you can tell the judge, I want a jurisdictional hearing, and uh, I want you to contact the State Department and get an authenticated copy from the State Department of my passport and explanatory statements. And he'll adjourn and go get the copy and get it back. And so, you know, he'll get it from directly from the State Department. All right, Russell, thank you for your time. We are down to our last 20 seconds, Frank. 
So thank you, Frank, for co-hosting, and thank you for, for also me. for calling in. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed this program and you learned something from it, at least in terms of what's possible. If you want a recording of the program, Frank has them. Uh, we'll, this will be up on his archive uh, in the next hours or tomorrow sometime. I'm not sure what time. You could download a copy of the program if you don't already have a copy. Um, all right. Thanks, folks. We're out of here. I'm Alfred Addis. This is the American Independence. I'll be back next Tuesday. In the meantime, may the good Lord bless you, me, Frank, and Russell. Bye-bye. and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. 
Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Shanahan, and this is the Condition Critical Show. This is my live show for Tuesday evening, the 16th day of August 2016, five minutes past the 8 o'clock hour. I was in the process uh, of uh, trying to type something into the chat room there, but I can just go ahead and say it. I see 008 is in there, and he was mentioning if I was uh, done engine switching, because I had mentioned earlier this this afternoon during Pastor Mike's show that I was... uh, I forget exactly what I said. I was in a switch engine or driving a switch engine. and uh, You don't actually switch engines with a switch engine. You switch trailers with a switch engine, and that's kind of the, one of the points or I wanted, the clarification I wanted to make. So that's what you do with a switch engine is you move uh, hustle trailers around, and most people probably know that. But anyway, again, folks, live show, Condition Critical, again, Tuesday evening, 16th day of August 2016. Administratively, you are listening right here on the American Voice Radio Network, which means you should go to the AmericanVoice.com or AmericanVoiceRadio.com, and you can get into that chat room that I was just talking about and just uh, comment it back to 008KLM. So there you go. That's how easy that is. And I see uh, Frank is in there and a few other people. Nanya, he pops in and out. Uh, that's how easy it is, folks. Uh, what else? Uh, the last couple of weeks, ladies and gentlemen, before I get to it all, hey, 008, how you doing there, my brother? The last couple of weeks, uh, I just wanted to get this out of the way. I've been failing to mention the donate links, uh, more specifically for this network, the American Voice Radio Network. Y'all need to make sure you're going there, okay, and clicking the donate button and donating $5, because Frank would appreciate it, and so would I. I mentioned that I have a website, because I do, conditioncriticalshow.com. You should go there as well. I have a blog. I try and stay kind of active on i got a couple interesting articles on there that, are, that I may get into uh, this evening. I may or may not. Uh, but the music from one of the posts that I posted there uh, is going to be played this evening during uh, the break, so stay tuned. And I also have a donate link. Uh, anything would help to help keep the lights on, as they say. Okay, so let's just get right on with things. I only have an hour, and I'm only on once a week, and I have a lot to say, and that's a problem. Uh, There's a whole lot going on. I mean, we can see 
Pastor Mike went over it. And now let me just get this out of the way. That show that was just on the American Independence Hour, you know, I, I rave about that show each and every week. And I have to say, uh, well, they hit it out of the ballpark this evening. It's a good show. I mean, you, you know, if you pay attention, you take notes, and I go back and listen to the archives and listen to this stuff, you're going to be so well-armed with knowledge and the truth that you're just not going to be able to be defeated. So there you go. Okay. Okay, well, there you go. So that was a, that's why I wanted to clarify that. Yes, that's a, what a switch engine is. A switch engine is basically a two-axle truck, okay, that has a hydraulic fifth wheel. It's one of the ones where you can, the, the seat swivels. It's an automatic. You can stand up in it and walk out the back to hook your lines up, and you don't have to act physically leave the vehicle pretty much. You can pretty much do all this right from the seat. And you can pick trailers up and, and drive them around and drop them and back them in and blah, 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 so forth and so on. That's what a, we call them switch engines. Other people call them something different, maybe a hustle truck or something like that. We call them switch engines. So, okay. Let's just stay on focus here because there's a lot to cover. I mean, uh, I was going to maybe get into some of the uh, Black Lives Don't Matter terrorists that are wreaking havoc up there in Milwaukee. But, I mean, why? What's the point? I may be at the end of the show, I'll commentate on that, uh, because what we have, ladies and gentlemen, going on, basically all over the world, but let's just focus on the United States, is, you know, you have, you have government, okay? And imagine government as like a, as a giant, like a dinosaur, like, call it like a Tyrannosaurus Rex, or maybe a Brontosaurus, or just some big giant, you know, Metasaurus dinosaur, right? <clears throat> and they eat, and they consume a lot of things. They wreak havoc. And then what do they have to do after, you know, after the, the digestion takes place? What, what does norm, what the mammals, what do anything have to do when, when, when the digestive process is nearly finished? They, they go to go take a big dump, right? Well, okay, that's, I mean, I'm not trying to be vulgar, but I could, could have been a lot more vulgar, but that, that's what they do. So, and that's what government is. And what government has done, certainly over the last hundred years, is they have, they have, they have corralled people in these cities. Okay, you know, Hillary Clinton said it back in the 90s, it takes a village. I mean, look, they didn't come up with this language on accident or just off the top of their head. They learned all of their verbiage somewhere, like at the Frankfurt School or from the Communist Manifesto or from some communist somewhere. You know, they learned that language through indoctrination, that whole it takes a village type language. And the point I'm trying to make is, the dinosaur has to take a big giant dump. And what happens when you take a big giant dump? Well, well, you know, you've seen cow patties out in the field. It attracts flies. That's the only thing that crap attracts is flies. And, and that is what you have. That is basically what's going on in Milwaukee. You don't really have real people. You don't have, like, regular people there. Okay. You have, like, flies. You have, you have flies that just kind of fly around stink and poop because that's all they know. And, you know, when there's no stink and then there's no poop, then they riot and they make their own stinking poop. Because if it was all about social justice up there in Milwaukee or over there in Milwaukee, uh, why set a gas station on fire? Why rob the Rite Aid store? Why loot a Walmart store? Why rob and loot uh, hair care product stores? Why overturn police cars and set them on fire? Why assault white journalists that are there reporting on it and, and probably are on your side 
They're probably liberal to begin with, and they're there to cover this so they can go tell their liberal friends, see, I told you the blacks are being oppressed. See, we really are a bunch of racists. And then you go there, and you get some cultural diversity uh, up close and personal. So there you go. That's about all I'm going to say, maybe just for the time being on Milwaukee, because, you know, what has really changed? And, and this is, you think about what has really changed. People say, man, our, our society has changed, and, and government has changed, and, and, and things have changed. And, and I would agree with that in, in general, you know, in general. I would say this, though, about government as far as, because, again, I mentioned when things changed, People sometimes they'll refer to, oh, government has changed. It's, it's different than it was 50 years ago or 100 years ago. And you know what? I would argue that it probably isn't. It's probably pretty much the same, or at least the difference between how different it was 100 years ago or how different it is now is pretty fractional. It's pretty minute. Okay? Now, let's just leave it at that. Pretty minute. Or at least not that big. Okay. So what has really changed? And, and I just came to this thought like the other day, day before yesterday. Because you see, I'm looking at a headline, and before I get into it, I'll say that what has changed is the people. See, see look, 100 years ago, certainly 100 years ago, we lived in a more moral and just society where we just didn't tolerate bad politicians, and we, we got rid of them. Sometimes we hung them, which is appropriate. See, we don't do that anymore because over the course, let's just stick with the 100 years just to keep it as a good round number. Excuse me. Over the course of that 100 years, again, governments have largely, and the people within government, you know, and, I, and that includes the bureaucrats who I think are worse than government officials themselves, like elected government officials. That's one of my tenets, one of my mantras, that the bureaucrats are worse Unelected pe- people that serve in government are, do far more damage than an elected official ever, ever will, which is why they have commissions, like in the state of Washington. I've mentioned it before, the Washington State Transportation Commission. They're the ones that implement all these toll roads, all these toll bridges, all these tolling schemes. They are the ones that do it. The, they are the ones that do it, and then they give it to the legislature and say, now go make this happen. And they, well, I don't care what your constituents say. You're going to make it happen. So that's why I believe that bureaucrats are far worse. They do far worse damage than any elected official ever will, ever will. And they both need to be held accountable, by the way. Okay, getting back to the difference there and and, and how we certainly, and Pastor Mike points it out every week, and he certainly did this week as well, that we just don't live in a moral and just society. And you can see this everywhere. I mean, I don't care how blind you want to be. I don't care. I don't care how hard you hold your breath and hold your nose. The stench is going to get in because it is that bad. Now, here's an example. This is the headline. Well, this is from the Christian Post, and here's the headline. Now, you really have to follow along here. This is the headline. Pedophilia, the next sin to be normalized. It's a question. Pedophilia, the next sin to be normalized? Professor questions whether adult child sex is really immoral. Now, this is a professor from a university. Now, let me get my screen to work here. Uh, this is a, uh, let me find, I'm going to get my screen to work here. Hold on. I'm trying to find it right. Yeah. This is from a professor from a, from a, a college, a university 
in, in the state of New York, and I'm trying to find his name because there were some prominent uh, captions here. And again, come on screen. Let's, why aren't we working here? All right, give me one second, guys. Well, okay. Here we go. I'll just maybe read from the article, uh, and then I'll find his name because my screen's not working the way I wanted to. We know how that goes, don't we? Again, it's from the Christian Post. Gerald Fogel, and, and they're talking about Gerald Fogel here uh, first. Again, I'm having trouble with my screen here. Hold on. Okay. One second. This is very strange. Okay. Pro- okay. Here we go. Here we go. Here's where I wanted to get to. Now, this is now the professor's name is Stephen Kirshner, and again, he is a uh, he's a professor and the chair of philosophy and philosophy at the, and the philosophy department at the State University of New York at what is it? Fredona at Fredona State New York uh, uh, State University of New York at Fredona, and he has done a study, and it's a 168 page report. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, which was released last year, and it's saying here that it recently came to the attention of some conservatives and blah, blah, blah. And what this does is it examines the moral status, now listen to this, of sexual relationships between adults and children, and explores whether those who engage in that kind of sex, quote, have a disease, act wrongly, or are vicious, and engage, and engages the legal surrounding issues. Now, in a moral and just society, does there need to be any discussion or any debate between adult child sexual activity do we need to debate that at all i mean is it like saying debating whether or not you know you want to have a a red car or a blue car or we're going to go buy a house tomorrow uh do we want a two level a split a rambler uh, do we want an upstairs a built-in basement you see what i'm saying a swimming pool or how about a circular or just a regular driveway or is that what we're talking about here or are we talking about something when it comes to this topic and what this professor is trying to do, and what he has done, is here's what they're doing. This is how they advance the degeneracy. I mean, you see how we go down this path. There's another headline. The school, there's some school district in North Carolina, and perhaps I'll get to it, where, you know, because we've got all this gender identity confusion that they want kids to have, which there is no confusion. Okay, there are two genders, male and female. That's it, period. If you're something different like Bruce Jenner, well, then you're a freak and you're a degenerate, whatever. Okay, that's it. But so they're using this, what they call a gender unicorn. It's funny how they use a unicorn because they're fictional too, right? But so they're using what they call a gender, and it's like this little, it looks like a, it looks like a dinosaur hippopotamus thing. It's, a, it's kind of a caricature, cartoonish thing, all cute and cuddly, right? And it's, it's a gender unicorn. And they're introducing this into elementary schools in a school district in North, I think it's North Carolina, okay? And this is, that's, this, is, this is part of the problem. It's the same thing. Let me get back to this article here. It's the same thing, guys, as this trying to normalize, because look, that's what they've been doing. That's where we've gone over the last hundred years, is it's not the government's. See, they were doing things like that back then that we don't, you know, you know, that have kind of we don't know about any longer. They're just not reported on anymore. But governments and, and immoral people all have always existed, and they've always largely exist within government and within bureaucracies. You've got to think about just your average politician, what it takes for an average politician to run for office. Think about the average politician that runs for office and, say, loses. 
What does that politician do? He goes and runs for another one. Oh, I didn't win that. I was running for dog catcher, and boy, they didn't like me. So I'll 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 go over here and I'll run for uh, I'll run for garbage collection uh, commissioner. Any way to get the and then boom. Once they're in, then they start moving up. Garbage collection commissioner. Uh, then they move up. You know, to building uh, building and code supervisor and up and uh, see what I'm saying. And they just go up the chain, up the chain. That's what we have right now. And that is why, that is why things like this are allowed to persist. That is why people like Stephen Kirshner, and that's his name, again, he's the professor and chair of the philosophy department at the State University of, of New York at Fredonia. And again, this is a 168-page study, and I'll just uh, continue on. And the publisher of this is Roman and Littlefield, and they describe the book on their website as this. This, now listen, this is how the publisher describes this book. This book provides a philosophical analysis of, again, come on screen, of adult child sex and pedophilia. This sex intuitively strikes many people as sick, disgusting, and wrong. But does it? But, but, but see, but, I mean, of course it does. But see, but does it really? If they can convince it, and they don't need to convince enough people. They just need to get their foot in the door, right? They get their foot in the door. They get it kind of loosely kind of established. It's loose. The foundation's not quite there. It's not quite firm yet, but it's there. There's, there's a little bit of attraction, a little bit. And then the moment somebody comes out, say like your host here, and comes out against it, boom, there's a bigot. Boom, there's a pedophilia phobe over there. And they got you. It's that simple. It's that simple. Once they can point you out, once they can red scar, you know, scarlet letter you and call you a name, because nobody likes to be called a name, because most people are a bunch of freaking giant sissies and cowards. Oh, I don't want to be called a name. I haven't been checking the chat room, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, yeah, <laughs> black jive does matter, or does jive. Uh, yeah, that, that, that drives too, Frank. Anyway, let me continue on with this. The problem is, is that it's not clear whether these judgments... Now listen, this is what the, the publisher's statement on this book is. This is the publisher's statement, and I'll, I'll continue on. I'll start over just from a sentence back. This sex intuitively strikes many people as sick, disgusting, and wrong. The problem is, is it's not clear whether these judgments are justified and whether they are aesthetic or moral. By analogy, many people find it disgusting to view images of obese people having sex, but it's hard to see what is morally undesirable about, uh, morally undesirable about such sex. Here, the judgment is aesthetic. Well, look, you know, if there's a couple of giant people, like whales or whatever you want to call them, adults, having sex, well, that's their prerogative. They're adults. They have, that's, you know, that's what adults, and they're consenting, and that's fine if they're, if they're just a couple of fat people, you know, getting it on wherever they do that, whatever they're adults. That is not the same thing as having sex with children and anybody to, to try and equate them as being the same thing. Well, is not right in their head. And it's a sub is, is a subversive and does not belong or should be allowed to live in a moral and just society. So I would say to the people of Fredonia, New York, I would say to those people there, if there are any moral and just people left in that town, they need to go to that university, find this guy, and beat him with a baseball bat to death. 
because he needs beaten. He needs benzioed. We don't need people like this in our society. Don't you, you know, anyone that would try and convince people that having sex with children is normal or that it's the same thing as two fat adults having sex, obviously uh, shouldn't be a professor at a university. Let me continue on. Social conservatives have long pointed that redefining marriage amounts to a slippery slope and will lead to other previously inconceivable cultural shifts, but are often told they are being extremely or irrationally extreme. Really? Well, haven't we seen that? I mean, that's, look, you, okay, so, uh, you know, marriage is between a man and a woman. That's how God defined it. So nothing can change that. But the state comes in and they say, oh, no, 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 no. No, if a couple of homos or a couple of dykes want to go ahead and get hitched up, uh, we're going to allow that. That's the slippery slope. And now, you know, they've, you see, they have moved on from the, from the whole straight homo thing, whether you have just your couple of basic homos uh, or your, your couple of straight uh, dyke homos. They've moved into the whole uh, transgender thing where, oh, that's a, I don't know what that is, and you really don't. Say, so well, well, what is that? That's wow. Well, it's a freak, number one. And they don't even know what they are. I think some of them really are actually confused. I, I, I really do. Now, some, they know what they're doing. They're perverts and they're pedophiles and they're sexual deviants. But some have just been brainwashed over the years, and they're just they're confused. They're damaged. They become what I would consider a bad machine. Now, sometimes you can repair a bad machine, but you know what? Sometimes you can't. Sometimes washing machines just need thrown away. Sometimes that dishwasher, you just you tried to fix it. You've replaced the solenoid. You replaced the spin cycle uh, valve thingy-majig and the check valve over here. You've re- it's, that's it. We've got to replace it. It's a bad machine. Uh, this professor, Stephen, or whatever his name was, I don't want to get his name wrong because it's important, Stephen Kirshner, who's a a douchebag, pardon my French, uh, that's what he is, and he needs, he, that, he needs rectified, if you know what I mean. Uh, I, got, I got a few more minutes here. <sighs> Let me continue on. In a Monday interview with the Christian Post, Peter Labarbi, president of Americans for Truth About Homosexuality, said that while he does not believe that pedophilia will be mainstreamed, will be mainstreamed in the next few years, since almost or since most Americans are still repulsed by it, books like Kirshner's indicate yet another dark front in the left strategic war. And this article says Judeo-Christian nor- moral norms, but I do not use Judeo. I say Christian norms because we have nothing in common with the Jews. No matter. What, and, but this is from the Christian Post, so it's kind of 700 clubbish, I'm guessing. It's just my own personal opinion here. That's just my own personal opinion. I'm not a fan of the people that call themselves Jews, and I don't believe that we are a Judeo-Christian nation. We are a Christian nation, period. You want to go to a Jewish nation, if one of such exists, then go there. Okay, let me continue on. Particularly disturbing to Labarbi and others was this line from Kirshner's book. Now, this is all a line from this, uh, from this Jack, Wagon, Jack Wagon's book. Here it is. Adult child sex involving willing participants has an unclear moral status. Now, let me repeat that. This is a quote from Stephen Kirshner from his book, and it's called a paper, actually. It's a 168-page document or whatever. Here's the quote again. Adult child sex involving willing participants has an unclear moral status. Let me ask you all. Is there anybody out there for you, for instance, or anybody that you know, 
So let's expand that. Not just the listeners, but anybody that you listening know out there that think that there's a, that's an unclear moral side. Like if you were to ask somebody, hey, uh, Bob, what do you think of, uh, you know, a Joe across the street there, like having sex with your daughter? What? My daughter's 11 years old. What, what are you talking about? Hey, man, Stephen Kirshner over here, he's a professor, man. He thinks that, you know, we just don't know what we're talking about. And so what do you think? Because, you know, Joe asked me, you know, he was kind of checking out a Susie there. What do you think, uh, what do you think uh, the neighbor's going to say? Well, if he's got any bones, you know, uh, in his, you know, uh, moral bones in his body, he, he's going to deck this guy. And then maybe he's going to go get a gun and take, uh, to, you know, uh, uh, take matters into his own hands, don't you think? So, again, there's no unclear moral status here, ladies and gentlemen. There's only an unclear moral status ladies and gentlemen, when we don't live in a moral and just society. And we are rapidly, rapidly swirling that bowl where, hey, man, it doesn't matter if you have an 11-year-old daughter. Somebody's going to want her, and you're going to have to give her up. Otherwise, you're going to be a pedophilia phobe, phobe, and you're going to be called a bigot and a hater and a racist. And you're not going to like that. Well, again, I see we're getting close to the break here. The music from or for this week, is uh, from one of my blog posts. I often do a this or that, and often I use music. And this particular blog post was the battle between the two songs, by one by Tom T. Hall and the other by Leonard Skinner. And so I will let them, well, actually, Frank will allow them to play the whole way through, and I will not interrupt them. And I will see you all after the break. Please stay tuned. Well, I used to wake the morning for the rooster crow, searching for soda bottles to get myself some dough. Brought them down to the corner, down to the country store, cash them in and give my money to a man named Curtis Lowe.
Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188 That's 800-375-4188 Protect yourself and your family. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
guitar and made it down in Tennessee. Well, Daddy said he drank a lot, but I could never understand. I knew he used to pick up in Ohio with a five-piece band. Admit it, Clayton taught me how to drink booze. I can see him half stoned to picking out the love sick blue. When Clayton died, I made him a promise. I was gonna carry on somehow. I'd give a hundred dollars if he could only see me now. I remember the Welcome back. Second half of the Condition Critical Show, my live show for Tuesday evening, 16th day of August, 2016. It is now 39 minutes past the hour. Again, I'm your host, Jay Shanahan. You're listening right here on the American Voice Radio Network. That means you should go, again, to the American Voice or AmericanVoiceRadio.com. That's the website, ladies and gentlemen, for the network. I have a website, ConditionCriticalShow.com. Check it out. A couple of interesting articles up on there that I have posted uh, two or three uh, last week or whenever I did it. Uh, check them out. Let's continue on because I want to really uh, hammer this point home about how, you know, it's not necessarily government that has changed. Look, uh, Frank and I just during the break, we're talking about Hillary Clinton, and I just don't understand how people can be moderate in any kind of way when they're talking about that wench. Okay, and there's other words I would like to use, but obviously I can't uh, – I can't do that. Uh, I'm seeing have no sound from AVRN from none or from Donald in the chat room. Uh, I assume I'm getting out. I haven't done anything differently with my controls. Maybe Frank can just give me a ping in chat or in Skype, letting me know that I'm still getting out. I see none. Yeah, yeah. Tom T. Hall was the music. Uh, Clayton Delaney and Leonard Skinner, uh, Ballard, Ballad of Curtis. Low. Going out. Okay, well, Donald, uh, maybe it's a setting in your machine. It happens. All these different settings. And believe me, I know, and it's frustrating. It's frustrating when things don't work. And sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes it's their fault. Sometimes it's your fault. I mean, it's just... It, it's fr- I, look, I'm, it's frustrating because I'm not a tech guru, and I get, I get frustrated. So I just... But let me just continue on about uh, where did I leave off? I got distracted there. Yep, okay. You know, being moderate about, you know, Hillary Clinton and, and, and how, you know, really government, you know, 
and the people within government, and certainly the bureaucrats, because again, I'll say this, and I'll say this for the record, that it's, I believe it's the bureaucrats. They are, the, to me, the brain trust or the nucleus or the, the, the cancer that is in, within our government. Okay, because elected officials, and they know this, see, elected officials are very, well, they should be in a, in a constitutional republic, in a democratic society, if democracy and blah, blah, blah is being, and I know we're not a democracy, and I just despise the word, but just for the sake of it, you know, in, in, in this setting, if you will, or the one that at least we're being sold, or the, that they say that we have and that we're able to exercise, we should be, they say, let's go vote. Go vote, change, and be part of the, the blah, 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 right? The democratic process and so forth. So my point is, it's supposed to be easy to change your politicians, your elected officials, by going to the ballot box and getting rid of the bad politician and getting a decent one in there. And that's true, largely. It, it, it is true, okay? But, you can't get rid of bureaucrats. They are lifelong, and they are there forever. And, when, and they stay there. Some of these bureaucrats stay there until they're 100 years old. And then they have their kids and their grandkids all come up through the ranks, and they all go through the same indoctrination processes as the, as the initial bureaucrat. But they get it, it gets more refined, obviously. Uh, hold on. I had a bug in my makeshift studio I had to uh, extinguish, kind of like you, we need to do with politicians and bureaucrats. I had to squish them. So let me just finish up on the what I believe to be far worse than any elected official, and that is a bureaucrat. Those are the people. Those are the people that are running things, these, these, these unelected bureaucrats, these commissions and these different agencies out there. You know, that, that, now listen, the Washington State Transportation Commission, I've mentioned it often, they're appointed by our elected officials, which I, that's, I think that's, that's – I don't – that doesn't make any sense to me. And I told my representative that. I said, why are you uh, neglecting your responsibility? That's your responsibility. You, you, know, you don't just go appoint some board over there, and then they operate outside of all boundaries, all boundaries, because they're bureaucrats, and, they are, and they're in some back closed door right room. And then we get, sh- we get shafted. But they must have picture- pictures of farm animals uh, or something or whatever. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Zero, zero, 008, things happen, you know, the Internet and different things like that. Well, I hope everything's uh, checking in and checking out and so forth and so on. Let me just continue on because, again, I want to hammer this point home, ladies and gentlemen, about how – we're not living in a moral and just society anymore. And this next headline, and it's not from the United States, but it's coming to a town, and it is in a town near you. It, it really is. Do you remember the, what happened in Idaho here a couple of months ago? And I don't have that article in front of me. And what were they? They were African. Were they Somalians or Syrians or something? Uh, teenagers, and they raped some little girl and... And that's, that's what happened. And the town council and the county commissioners, oh, that didn't happen. And that's, that rhetoric's coming from anti-immigrant, uh, uh, anti-immigrant people and, and they're bigots and they're racist and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so this is coming to a town here. But this is from, this is from the telegraph.co.uk. So this is a European 
a website uh, publication. The headline is Germany admits 130,000 asylum seekers, or they admit 130,000 asylum seekers lost, raising fears over crime and terrorism. Oops, I mean, where'd they go? And then, so you see what happens over there, right? You, you see what Germany has done. I mean, Germany and France, you see what, the, what they have suffered. The, the people now, not the politicians. You know, again, they're not going to the, to the Bundestag or whatever you call it, the, the, or the parliament, you know, the Reichstag, okay? Or, or they're not going, you know, to the Bastille anymore. Uh, they're going to train stations and coffee shops, Okay, these savages, and they're, they're harming the citizens of those countries. Okay, I wanted to find the, uh, the right one that I was going to talk about. That's an interesting headline, and perhaps I'll get to it. Where is it here? Okay. Well, there's that one. Here, this is the one I wanted to get to. And this is out of, uh, I believe this is from Breitbart, and I think this is out of Germany, too. Yeah, yeah. Here's the headline. More than 1,000 known child marriages in Germany. And see, this is what happens over there. German authorities are, report, are reportedly sounding the alarm over a sharp rise in child marriages after noting that more and more girls are disappearing from school. Justice Minister Hiko Maas has announced drastic new measures to tackle the problem. Well, what, 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 what measure, other than deportation uh, there, uh, Justice Minister Hiko Maas, are you... Uh, expecting to announce i mean if they're going to be drastic other than deportation what are we talking about here well of course they're not going to talk about deportation because that would be racist the girls are usually married to older men well there you go yeah because that's their culture don't you know and tend to being linked to a new wave of migrants who entered the country over the past 18 months duh well of course the state has logged over 1,000 child marriages but number 24.de reports that the number of unreported cases may dwarf this number. Now, that must be some kind of a publication I'm not aware of, but it's called N as in November 24.de. That must be some kind of a, uh, yeah, publication. So there you go. That's what's happening over there. And this goes on and on. Forced marriages marriages in Germany are punishable, he said, and that's how it should be. Again, this is one of the, this is from a parliamentary leader, Thomas Opermann, and he said there's protections in place and blah, blah, blah. But to see, there's obviously no protections in place because that would be racist, and they're allowing these things because now it goes on to say here, yeah, here we go. In June, a German judge ruled that the marriage of a 14-year-old Syrian girl, 14-year-old Syrian girl, to her 20-year-old cousin, was valid despite German law. The higher regional court in Bamberg, Bavaria, decided the marriage must be recognized as the wedding had already taken place and was recognized as legal in their native Syria, conducted in accordance with Sunni marriage rights. Well, there you go. That's what's happening over there. But see, it's coming to a town near us, ladies and gentlemen. I had a headline here. Let me see if I can find it. I just went through my emails uh, earlier this afternoon and got rid of a bunch of stuff, but I think I kept this one. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, Bernie Sanders, yeah. Hey, well, here's something. It's food for thought while I'm looking for it. Did you see where Bernie Sanders bought a $600,000 lakefront home, I think, in Vermont or Maine? So for all you Bernie Sanders supporters out there, oh, he's for the people. He's for the little guy. And, oh, by the way... 
He that's not his first home. He owns like three mansions. So there you go. And the article, I, and I'm not going to read from it, but it goes on to say, well, and Bernie Sanders, I mean, he's got a right to buy a house and, you know, and blah, blah, blah. You're right. And Bernie Sanders is for the little guy, don't you know? All right, let me see if I can find this. Uh, is that, well, that's something you should know. The DEA, Department of uh, the Drug Enforcement Agency, regularly mines American travelers. That's a headline. You guys should check that out. That's so they can, you know, uh, you know, mind as in like data mine and, and they can see where you're going and they, they track you. And that way they can just apprehend you to seize your money. And that's what the article's about. It's a forfeit seizure, uh, asset forfeitures. That's what they do. I'm trying to find this article. Okay, I might have gotten rid of it, but anyway, and I did. Okay. But I think I remember it. I'm going to paraphrase. I'm going to have to because I don't have it in front of me. Uh, it's it, it's from the head uh, state of Indiana. And uh, recently, and I just read this a few days ago, a Syrian family shows up, right? And they're at the airport. And one of the representatives from Indiana, of course, he's a Democrat. He's a Muslim. And he goes there and greets him. And, and the Syrian dude, he, of course, doesn't speak English. And he's asking, oh, are, are, are we going to a camp? And, and there's representative says, no, no, you're going to an apartment. Oh, is there going to be trash there and crime? And is uh, my kid's going to be able to get an education uh, school and blah, blah, blah. And, and the representatives, now they're speaking Arabic and savage Muslimry or whatever. Oh, no, it's going to be clean. And you're going to have good schools. And, and we're here to welcome you. And, this, and then the Syrian refugee says, oh, I just want the best for my kids. And I just want to find job. And I just want to be a productive member in this... Bull. Bull. This is what's happening, guys. And, and some Muslim representative, that's right, from the state of Indiana, from the state, whatever Congress or, or whatever body of Congress that this douchebag is a member of, that's what he's doing. That's who he's allowing into your state there in the state of Indiana. But look, man, it's happening in Washington, too. Our state does it. Our, our, our governor, when it came out, uh, this was months ago that where they, you know, uh, some state representative says, look, we got to stop taking these Syrian refugees until we, find, oh, and our governor, Jay Inslee, the closet homo. We're not going to do that. That's racist. And we're all welcoming. That's not who we are. It's not who we are. You know, I could punch him in his freaking fat mouth. I mean, I could punch him in his freaking fat mouth. I would just love for my fist to impact his jaw. And, and have bones shattering and maybe fracture an eye socket or two. And then when he's down, there's a reason why you wear steel toe boots, ladies and gentlemen. That's so when you kick them, that's so when you kick them when they're down, that you inflict more pain and more damage. We've got to take our country back somehow, ladies and gentlemen. We can sit on our hands and we can just, you know, idly just, oh, I'm going to watch American Idol or I'm going to go to some stupid baseball game or I'm going to watch some ridiculous bull shite. On television. Because I don't want to pay attention. La, 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 la. I'm sticking my thumbs in my ear, waving my hands, closing my eyes. See nothing. Oh, I just I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Please, please. Yeah, while you're getting ass, you know what. When's it going to stop? That's what I want to know. I, I'm sick. I get physically ill by seeing the filth and the freaking degeneracy that is going on in this country. 
all because not enough of us are doing anything about it. And, man, they are winning. They are winning. They're kicking our freaking living, loving rear ends, ladies and gentlemen. And I don't like With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.